Good evening, good evening, everybody. Matt DeMarinas here um, from White and Blue Review, bringing you another Blue Jay Beat post game podcast, um, sponsored by Court Date. Uh, our buddy Matt Hoover, um, Creighton grad, did some. He's done some uh, advanced analytics stuff for us at White and Blue Review in the past. Um, he's got a new kind of startup going. It's called Court Date. The website's courtdate.io. And it's basically, you know, if, if you're in the Omaha area, whether you live here or, you know, you're in town with a team or um, just in town looking for a place to hoop and, uh, you know, you need to rent a facility that's, you know, in this time socially distanced and obeys the COVID protocols and um, whether you just want to get some guys together for some people together for a pickup game or a skills training session or a team practice, um, courtdate.io is kind of your middleman for finding gyms in the metro area to rent out um, and use so that's your go check that website out um and uh yeah get your hooping in while you can during the during the pandemic as safely as possible so um on the podcast tonight we've got johnny atawa from the omaha world herald um even in his i think you're actually above 500 now in the season because i think we last had you on uh for the providence home loss if i'm not mistaken so there were a couple non-con dubs in there for you early on and then um tripped up at the providence game but we got you back in the wind column tonight right so yeah, feel, better, not, feel better i can't about that, confirm or? did i do non-conference games with you you definitely did north dakota state i remember that because okay. i was yeah. right at the jump might be two and one right now I think Jacob did UNO. I don't remember who did Kennesaw State. That might have been Robbie. So, yeah, we might, you might be two and one. So, I think North Dakota State, and then there were some technical glitches, and then obviously it's just tough for, with you being in the arena sometimes and um, on deadline and whatnot. It's hard to link up as much as we used to. Uh, Dude, we're, not, we're not in the same spot anymore. So, I'm checking out I'm checking out this, this website that you just advertised before we get into this game, courtdate.io. I like it. Yeah. It's clean. Seems like it's gonna be easy to use. Find that gym and reserve it. I know. Now I want now I so my I want to create something like this for, for tennis. Cause I'm starting to get into a, tennis now. As spring comes I, open, maybe yeah. Like maybe I want to know what courts are. I wish there was a way to like track it. What I don't want to drive across town and go to this like setup of courts and then all of a sudden there's no courts available. So we need something like this too. Well, so I mean, if get on it. Matt's listening, Matt. like, yeah, it's court date. It's not basketball court dates. I mean, yeah, exactly. Out to to tennis and get the get Johnny Ottawa some some time at you know with the on the tennis courts when the when the snow melts and the springtime comes around. Yeah, for right. sure. Right. He he's got some time. So yeah, there's a there's a little business pitch there. <laughs> he's probably like, guys, dang, I'm just starting this thing up. Uh, right. <laughs> love you, Matt. Appreciate you. Um. Yeah, so John, I guess you know Jay's uh, complete the road trip. I think that's their what? That's the second straight two and zero road trip, right? Because they got yeah. Seton Hall, DePaul, then they got Marquette, Georgetown. Usually, the second leg of that road trip, like where they stay on the road, hasn't been kind to them um, from a results standpoint. But maybe they're bucking that trend a little bit tonight. Would you? I mean, it's pretty. I mean, it feels like the game is going to be pretty easy to analyze tonight. We'll get into your questions a little bit later, but. I guess what were some of your key takeaways when you look when you just as you watched it live and then maybe if you've gone back and looked at a few things that that jumped out to you on the first watch what 
what stood out to you for like as why Creighton was able to control the game the way they were considering it was against a team they had just lost to less than a week ago? Just the, the mentality that the Jays had, like this was it's stemming from Saturday's game against Marquette, which I thought you could see again, we're watching this on TV. So it's hard to see everything, but it just felt like when I got to see close up shots of guys read body language it just felt like Creighton had a little bit more of an edge at Marquette and then carried that over to Georgetown. Um, the level of focus was there. The energy was there. Christian Bishop after the game mentioned the word grit. I felt like you could see some of that as well. Um, their activity defensively, which is, which is a result of energy and effort like and focus. Like You have to be locked in to be in the right spot and then have sort of the frame of mind of like, okay, we're, I'm going to attack. I'm going to be the aggressor here defensively. I'm going to go after this ball as soon as they expose it. Um, so there, it, like part of that's mental or well, a lot of it's mental, but also, I mean, you credit them for just being instinctive and having quick hands and uh, shoot, man, there were stretches of that game where I was like, I mean, I was just mouth agape watching. I couldn't believe how many strips, swipes, you know, just how many times Creighton knocked the ball away from Georgetown's guys. I mean, I think there was a stretch in the end of the first half where Mitch Ballack got his hand, uh, Mitch Ballock, Mitch Ballock, he got his hands on what, like five in a row. Yeah. I mean, he's, he stripped Belay three out of four times. There was down and then, the court. And then the one where uh, Lapis was like, where was that pass? Like, Mitch actually tipped that. He tipped it. Yeah. It wasn't like yeah, an errant. It wasn't like an errant stupid pass. Like it was a good. It was probably a layup if Mitch doesn't get a hand on it. But he, it was just one of those things in transition, and Mitch got a paw on it and it popped it up way in the air for another. Tra- yeah, he was. There was a stretch there where he got his hands on the ball, like four or five defensive possessions in a row. Right. And and Mahoney was really active with his. He's always like has that ability, and he's shown it times this year, but. I mean, that the play at the end of the half where he just, like, ripped the ball away from uh, Georgetown's big guy. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're thinking, how how was that possible? And I think they made mention of that on the broadcast. And then the next possession down, it was like a transition play, and he swipes down on the ball and, and knocks it off the driver's leg. Maybe it's Harris driving. So, yeah, Creighton's um, assertiveness there defensively and, and, their, and the activity – that was obviously the difference and it essentially just knocked Georgetown out of rhythm and those guys midway through the first half, it just felt like they were like, okay, we don't want any part of this. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to beat you from the three point line, but like, we're not gonna like, in the moment the ball gets down below the free throw line. It, it was n- n- nothing good seemed to happen for Georgetown. And I think they recognized that and just started bombing threes. I mean, what did I tabulate? I think it was the first 38 shots that Georgetown had 28 were from three point range. That's absurd. That's just, yeah. Yeah. That's way and, out of character. And, and, and Matt eight, they started the second half. Their first eight shots were threes. Yeah. So they went in made adjustments, came out and were like, no, 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 no. I don't want this mess. Let's just shoot threes. <laughs> I mean, they made a fair amount. I think there were eight for 28. Eight, mm-hmm. eight of the first 28 for three. That's not a terrible percentage. Right. It's not good, but it's not terrible. But then you couple that with all the turnovers and then, you know, just the inability to get anything going down low. I mean, Creighton, um, 
it's it's to me it was as good as of a of a sort of like level of engagement defensively um that i've seen from Creighton. i don't know maybe ever ever yeah i mean it, it felt maybe. like it, it felt like one of those it felt like one of those big time defensive performances from from a season ago where they're just flying around they're digging in the post when it gets down there you know the guards aren't leaving uh you know, those fives on an island, essentially. Um, I don't know. I don't know what – it doesn't feel like this is something new that they've done, but I just think the engagement with those, like, Creighton has kind of like a – it looks kind of like a football defense to me. Like, they'll have Damian Jefferson or Denzel Mahoney or some – or Marcus Zagorowski or Mitch, honestly, like all four of those guys do it, where they just kind of roam the middle – like that mid lane area as like kind of a middle linebacker type, just calling out screens here, this stuff there, and then just helping on those little slips to the rim or doubling the post. Like it's almost like a free safety, just like a ball Hawk that gets in the middle of the paint and leaves dudes on the weak side um, for rotations to catch up to those dudes. And they just kind of handle whenever the ball gets into that strong side block, they just come over and heat it up or, you know, call out everything in front of them type of deal. It's kind of interesting when you – it's cool to watch when you just isolate on those dudes because there's so much – they have so many responsibilities. I mean, Damian Jefferson against Marquette, just he was so active in that area. I mean, with his communication, with his effort. Um, and then when the ball goes up, he's usually blocking out of a big dude like Theo John, Dawson Garcia tonight, you know, Kudus Wahab. Um, to if you go Hefe, like Chudier, uh, Bile, like all those dudes, like they're big dudes. And you know, Creighton's down there battling with those guys, and then doesn't like it's almost like size doesn't matter. But you know what, I got caught up in tonight was um, Denzel Mahoney. And I, and I, this is probably not a great way to watch a game, but I didn't really pay attention to the stats for you know, a good like 20 to 30 minutes because I just was getting caught up in how hard they were playing defensively. Um, So I didn't really like, I wasn't locked into who was shooting well or um, all that kind of thing. And Denzel was just all over the place. I mean, that might've been his, his best game defensively in, in a Creighton uniform from start to finish. Cause you've mentioned a few things like, you know, when the ball goes into the post He's coming in there, and he's not just um, making himself a, a, like a body in there. He's going after that ball. He's he's getting physical with those big guys. He's letting them know that this is what it's going to be like every time you go in here. So that's probably it. Probably goes to your um, your notion there that maybe halfway through that thing, Georgetown realized that there isn't going to be a way to live in the paint tonight and they have to be Creighton from the three-point line, which is kind of why they did try to do that. Because Denzel Mahoney, I felt like, was a major presence in why Georgetown couldn't get the ball inside. But he's also flying all around. I mean, he's chasing Javon Blair through multiple screens um, from one side of the floor to the next. He's covering Jamarco Pickett on switches. Um, he's going down, in the, like I said, in the post and digging out those big guys and, and battling them. And he's coming into the into that, you know, 10 foot intermediate area, that kind of little arc you can draw from, you know, baseline all the way around and, you know, cleaning up the defensive glass, which is what Creighton needs their guards to do because their bigs have a tough time just putting bodies on opposing post players. So, you know, it's up to Denzel and DJ and 
Mitch and Marcus to clean up those, clean up the glass. And I thought Denzel did a really good job of kind of just hunting the ball on those types of shots where, you know, there could have been a loose ball that Georgetown got to, but he was kind of always the first man to it. Um, and I didn't even notice he didn't shoot well. That's the thing. Like all of a sudden Steve Lapis is just like railing on him. Like I think he's yeah. playing awful. And I'm yeah. just like, what a what hold up. And I looked at the stats, I go, Oh, he's not shooting well, but he's not playing awful. That's not even we're not even he watching. Made the a same couple, game. He made a couple comments about Mahoney, and then yeah. in the second one he looped he looped Zegarowski in there. It's like, yeah, they're not making shots, but like look at that. Look at you can you can actually see sometimes you can't see the impact in the stats, like in the other ways that they're contributing, but you could actually see it. Like it's just yeah. like, look at the box score, right. <laughs> the rebounds, the assists, the steals. I mean, like they were doing a lot um to to help the team, even though the shots weren't falling. But yeah, that that's the weird thing about Mahoney though, Matt. And I I haven't like done an extensive study on this yet, but like I feel like some of his better games defensively have also correlated with not good shooting nights, mm, which which yeah. isn't a surprise necessarily because you have to ex- you're putting forth so much effort defensively that you know it takes away some of your energy to contribute on offense is one of the things that Tyshawn was so good at, right? And you commended him for his um, endurance, his stamina of like being able to be efficient on offense, but also give it all on defense. And um, I remember just talking to like Kyrie Thomas about this, maybe Maurice Watson too, about knowing how to like take advantage of the breaks in the game or knowing when you can kind of like pause and allow your body to sort of reset. You can take some deep breaths and get back into it. So maybe that's something that Denzel's still trying to figure out because this is kind of the first time that he's stepped into this role where he's had to be kind of a centerpiece to their defensive scheme. And he's had to do a lot and guard these perimeter players who are just like going all over the court. You know, he's had to chase, like you said, chasing them on screens. And so how do you, um, how do you recharge on the fly is something maybe, maybe again, like, I don't know. It could, it could just be anecdotal here in terms of me remembering Oh, great defensive effort, not good shooting night. I don't, I, again, I haven't looked at the stats, but it seems like that's a trend. And um, I'll be interested to see if he can improve on that. But like, he got great shots on offense. And I thought he made good decisions on offense, too. And, and mm-hmm. to me, that's like the biggest thing with Denzel offensively is just like, what kind of shots is he taking? Uh, how, is he, is it going within the flow of the offense? Is he helping to set guys up and keeping the ball moving? And I thought he was doing that tonight. So you couple that with what he did defensively that's a good night 100 percent. i thought yeah i thought the only thing that was missing and i didn't even realize it until so until the commentator started railing on it was that he wasn't shooting well it just wasn't something i noticed when i'm watching it and i don't you know obviously that's like come on matt why aren't you noticing that they're not hitting shots i'm just like i don't know because i felt like the game wasn't decided that way i felt like the game was decided because creighton was attacking the rim offensively and scoring at will, basically. Um, And on the other end, they were just playing incredible defense. They were not letting Georgetown get anything easy. They weren't letting them get comfortable like they did in Omaha where, you know, the ball would move and the closeout would just be like a half step slow. And they'd be giving up a lot of rhythm threes on the catches. And I just, that was the part, those were the two parts of the game that stood out to me in terms of how this thing's being decided currently. So I wasn't, it was hard to know. It was hard to just be like, oh, 
I guess Marcus and Denzel aren't shooting the ball well because it felt like Creighton was grabbing control of the game through their defensive effort and execution. And then the way they were taking it to the rim, like right at Georgetown, getting Wuhab in foul trouble, challenging those guys, um, you know, in the, in the paint area, it's just that it was a concerted effort to attack that area of the floor, um, make two foot jump stops, get the ball moving around. You know, I just felt like their ball movement and their their overall movement offensively was really sharp. The pace I thought they got going pretty good. I I guess the only thing that didn't translate was that they didn't didn't shoot the ball well, but I felt Mm -hmm. like Creighton easily could have easily could have blown that thing way out of way out of whack because the way they were playing on both ends of the floor um, in terms of their execution and their effort. <clears throat> the only thing that didn't translate was the point total. And, and even still, I know that Georgetown isn't going to jump off the page when you look at their, when you look at what this game means for a resume standpoint, but Georgetown has been playing some pretty high level basketball right now. I mean, they went, they, they, they came back and beat Providence. Um, they beat, they controlled the game against Creighton. And then on Sunday at Villanova, I mean, it was basically down to the wire the whole time. I mean, that game, Villanova got some separation here and there, but every time they did, Georgetown had an answer that would bring it right back to a one possession game. And Georgetown led for a lot of that too. So I felt like that was a Georgetown team that was playing at a really high level. And I think they've kind of, they kind of proved that the win in Omaha wasn't a fluke that Creighton had to take them seriously. And they had a, a big challenge on their hands tonight. So the fact that Creighton was basically an average shooting night away, essentially from blowing that thing wide open doesn't even gloss over the fact that that was still Georgetown's most lopsided loss of the year. It was the, the 22 point deficit that Creighton had. I think it was their biggest lead. That was the most Georgetown's ever trailed in a game all year. And the 15 point margin is the most that they've lost all year. They've played West Virginia. They played Villanova twice. Um, they played St. John's twice. You know, they've played some, they've played some good competition this year and no one's done. No one's done to them what Creighton did to them tonight. No one's made them look like that. Yep, it was a good. It was a good performance by Creighton for sure. I do, I do kind of wonder. Patrick Ewing said after the game. By the way, man, I'm I'm getting all on board. Patrick Ewing, right? I know. Right I love. I watched this. I hate his timeouts, but I love the way he coaches. So, yeah. uh, we'll touch on that in a second. Okay. But okay. Um, he was pretty blunt after the game, and he didn't want to make any excuses about you know the short turnaround. He's like, we didn't even really practice yesterday, so they shouldn't be tired. Like we just watch film and walk through or something like that. Um, but I do think that probably had some, so it had to have some sort of impact. I mean, playing no, and, I know, and then turning around. Right. The, yeah. And I know it's not like Creighton had a full week off or whatever. Creighton only had one extra day, but I think that sometimes the, the way the schedule sets up helps you a little bit. And, and I think that did, but no, you're right about Georgetown. Like forget whatever, metric you're looking at or where they rank in the net or the Ken Palm or whatever, just what they did really from, I don't know, maybe like the 10 minute mark of the first half against Providence. Cause they came off that pause and they weren't looking too hot for the right. first part of that game against Providence. But after that shaky start and they were, uh, they've been great. <laughs> they've been mm-hmm. great. <laughs> they've been good. So um, yeah, Creighton really did have to, I think they they found out the hard way last week. They you have to actually play well to beat this team, and so um, they played well tonight. 
Yeah, so I'm writing down our but next. Hold up. I'm writing down our Patrick, next talking point because I want to talk about the timeouts. Like, because you feel like you have you're you're time. you're hating on those timeouts. Oh, massively. You have you have those things are precious in college basketball. He, if you think you're going to be in a close game, game one, you need those things to execute it, late. In the first game, though, they they all were effective. Like, I agree, but I think that was more I, anecdotal than it was. Okay. <laughs> well, I I remember watching it and and I'm like, oh, you you're calling a timeout there. Like, there's a media timeout. I'm like. Mm-hmm. 15 seconds i think he had one early in the game against creighton the first time but his team responded every time and like um i not, yeah I'm, it does seem like it does seem like he's he's as a coach he he sort of reacts out of emotion he's like it was six uh, to nothing and he called a timeout dude. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or like i think i want to say in the in the first game it it, it might have been like 12 to 10 or something i don't even know what it was but yeah. like they had just missed for the first time, like a, a help side rotation on the on the ball screen, like a lob. Creighton got a lob or something, and he saw it and was like, "No." The two, the two the two timeouts he called in the first half in Omaha were, uh, I think Creighton took a nine seven lead and he called a timeout. Okay, so it's like basically a seesaw game. At that point, you're just both score on each other. It was nine seven the first. It wasn't even like at the seventeen minute mark yet. It was like seventeen thirty. And it was nine to seven, and he called a timeout. Yep. And the right. next, the next time he called a timeout was it was twenty nine. It was twenty nine twenty four. Creighton had just scored to cut the lead to five. Yeah. And it, but it wasn't like they went on a big run to do it. They scored like um, I don't remember what the, what was it twenty nine twenty one or something like that, and they scored. I don't it, remember what the score was. Georgetown was up twenty nine nineteen, and uh, it looked like um, I got it. I got the play by play right here. Denzel hit a three. Um, Georgetown had a couple turnovers in a row and, and a fast break lay, layup for Denzel, mm-hmm. and that's when he called the timeout. So, but I, I I don't know. I actually liked that one because it felt like the momentum was swinging. Okay. The first one, I'll give it to you. The first one in that game, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. What are you doing? But that one was that's, good. And then he so... had another one in the second half that uh, was really timely, and his team responded both times. Now, mm-hmm. this time in this game, his team did not respond. So, <laughs> that's like, what I mean. That, so I'll give it to you that in Omaha, the timeouts worked. The only thing, the only thing I, I'm coming at people with, and and I know where people are going with this because they always they always ask me why I don't ever press Mac for not calling timeouts to stop runs, and it's because I personally have a theory that timeouts don't stop runs. Like I just don't think they're like these little magic wands. I think you can call a timeout when you've given up six straight. And then proceed to give up seven straight out of it. Like, I think that does, I all I think that does, I mean, because the other team is using it too. That's what I mean. So, if, if you, if you, if there's something in the game that's been figured out from a standpoint of like a schematic standpoint, or if you're just not playing hard, I don't think a timeout is going to fix any of that. So, that's just my theory on that. And I, that's the thing I like. I like Jay Wright. I like Greg McDermott. I like all these dudes who just let their guys play through all that stuff. You know what I mean? Because I think right. that's what teaches them the most. You, you play through all that stuff and then you put it on film and then you watch it and then you teach it that way. That's it's like, it's like you teach it in practice and then the next game it translates or later on down the road, you remember it. It's, I don't think a timeout in the moment is a great teaching time. You know what I mean? I just, that's what I feel about it. So I know, and I'm like, you only have four of them too and you lose one at halftime. So what I, I, the, the thing with Patrick Ewing is Georgetown has been in a ton of close games where he's burned timeouts like that and to stop little runs here and there and i'm like that's the game of basketball though teams go on runs like it's just you got to answer them you can't 
you can't answer him with timeouts. You got to answer him with your play. And he's been in situations where they've been in like one possession games with like two and a half minutes left. And he has no way to stop the clock. He has no way to get his team out of a jump ball situation. If they don't have the possession arrow, he has no way to, to save his team from a five second call. Like you need a timeout for that stuff. I think in a close game and he just burns through them. That's my only critique on him is he just like uses those things so liberally. And it's like, dude, chill for a minute like let the game <laughs> flow and but it's like some of these guys just had to have so much control on it that yeah but i won't lie to you that in omaha he used them wisely like or they worked out they worked favorite. out yeah. yeah i i don't i i'll push back a little bit on you because i i do think that the the momentum of the game it, it, especially in college sometimes and especially with fans in the building it can mm. it can really weigh on you if if you're on your heels and um you know a team's hit two threes and a dunk in a row on you or something like things can snowball in a negative direction really fast sometimes and and there are moments in games i think where teams just need to take a deep breath and that's where the timeout can help you i i agree from an adjustment standpoint it's hard to fix a lot of things in like 30 seconds right or 60 seconds it's uh, maybe you can sub and get new guys in there but mm-hmm. um yeah not to mention you get four media timeouts like there's already four freebies right. coming for you so you can no, all that stuff and i too. and i hear that from creating fans a lot who are like mcdermott needs to call more timeouts mm-hmm. but um it it, it it proved like you said they're valuable and against DePaul. Creighton was able to use timeouts and make to switch offense for defense late. Yes, exactly. Make strategic substitutions, set up plays like, um, what was that ten a ten to two run at the end of the mm-hmm. game? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it makes a difference when you have those. So, and then we go back and watch, go back and watch yeah. the women's team. Flan is notorious for just saving his timeouts. Well, he'll in the let, women's he'll game, it, at least he'll let his team go. Ball. He'll let it. He'll let his team get 15 would and he won't call anything. But in the fourth quarter, if it's a game, like he's drawing up magic on that whiteboard because yeah. he's got. But you all, can, but you can advance exactly. the ball in the women's game. Well, I think so they should do that in the men's game too. So like they'll yeah. make timeouts more valuable too. But yeah, you know what I think it goes back to is actually as a kid, Creighton played Southern Illinois a couple times in some games that just turned real ugly. Like they just beat the crap out of the Salukis, and Bruce Weber burned all of his timeouts in the first half to stop it from happening and didn't even come. And it never stopped. No, it never. So to me, I've never forgotten that. I always kind of laugh about it. I think actually Barry Collier got close to it too in a Nebraska Creighton game that was like a 30 point blowout. Um, I just, I've seen those types of situations where coaches just rip through all of them in, you know, to just like, because he has no, he has no way to address what's going on on the court other than to grab his team and put him in a huddle and talk to him. Um, and they've never worked. I mean, how many times yeah. how many times a Hoiberg call last year in the first half? And yeah, three in that forty to nine start or whatever it was. Like, I think he used three of them, didn't he? Yeah, I think it was three. Yeah, so I just and, have and, two, I have too many memories of timeouts being now 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 I'm thinking about that Seton Hall game that Creighton had uh, to end the year. I think I think Willard might have used two plus a media in there in that thirty in, in that stopped. thirty in that thirty to ten. Surge. yeah yeah it never stopped that's what i mean so. sometimes you just can't control the game it just it just plays out so right i've seen too many examples that's why i don't like when coaches just get crazy with them early so i'm like you need that for situational stuff late you don't know what type of game you're going to be in 
30 minutes down the road, essentially. Um, so that's, that's the only, th- I lo- otherwise I love Patrick Ewing. I think he's going to, I think he's great at developing bigs, obviously, but I think they've had a lot of really good, talented, like tweener types that have, you know, been tough to guard. And I'm like, yeah, if that dude, you know, if he can get the right players in that all just kind of, you know, don't cause trouble and don't try to like, you know, bail after two years, they don't like their role type of deal. If you can find those guys, I think they're going to be really good. Like top half of yeah. the league consistently. Cause I think he's a good guy. Right. It's, it seems like he's, he's impressed. He's impressed me at least with his coaching medal and his decisions. And, mm-hmm. and, and as you said, development and getting guys to buy in and play hard, like that's, that's been, I thought, I thought it was no, I mean, you look at where Georgetown is from a metrics perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense given their results. Cause mm-hmm. they're not, like you said, there haven't been a lot of bad losses. They've been in a lot of games. Um, they've competed really well. So I think that's a credit to Ewing. Now his, his he's got a lot of seniors. So obviously a lot of people thought this year, me included was going to be sort of a ground zero reset. But as it turns out, some of the guys they added from the like transfers and some of their pro- developmental guys in the program have improved. Um, so we'll see what happens in the next year and, and the year beyond. But I, I do think, I mean, I, I'd be encouraged if I'm a Hoyas fan, just based on what I've seen. So, yeah. Uh, one uh, thing I wanted to ask you about uh, before we jump into our questions here, because I think we got quite a few of them. Um, I feel like Christian Bishop's playing really well these last, I don't even know what it is. I didn't, I haven't gone, gone back and looked at his kind of game log, but. Does it feel like to you that he's gone to a different level here or that maybe he's finding his uh, maybe he's finding his his extra gear a little bit after maybe hitting a wall a little bit? Well, I think staying out of foul trouble helps a lot. That's that's probably I should. He hit a wall. No, he's getting foul trouble. Yeah, I think that's really what it was, right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. And, and it wasn't even his fault sometimes. No, no yeah. Okay, we actually, you know what? The officials. Good job tonight. Way to stay out of the game. Like I didn't notice a single one of you the night. So <laughs> sorry. I just wanted to add and, that part in. And Creighton was, it's I mean, very rare. Creighton was swiping a lot too. So, you know, you, I guess you could have. Oh yeah. They could have absolutely ripped that game apart if they wanted to. If they really wanted to. Yeah. 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 Um, So I just did a quick, quick little math here. Uh, Christian Bishop in his last, let's see, six games. Nope, last eight games is shooting 75.5% from the Holy floor. Holy crap. It's 37 of 49. Jesus. Because um, he was what? He was eight for 11 a day, right? Yep, eight yeah. for 11 a day. You know, um, what, you know what else it looks like, too? You, you say that, and it's not just one of those, um, well, Marcus is getting a lot of attention, so Christian has easy flip-ups. I think Christian is creating his own offense better than he was early in the year. Maybe no better doubt. than he was at every point, any point in his career. Yeah, he's, you know, no. he's, he's well got okay, that. I, sorry to interrupt you, man. No, you're um, good. I talked to Nick Baugh about this on his podcast about how teams are defending Creighton a little bit. Um, not not every team does this, and and not every team's good at it. But like, it does feel like teams are more cognizant of just trying to stick to shooters mm-hmm. and and to provide less help. Um. So they, what it what it creates is a lot of one on one situations. If Christian Bishop gets the ball at the elbow, like he he has that room to work because nobody's coming to, 
you know, help protect the rim or maybe dig in or swipe down on his drives because they don't want to leave the shooter. Um, but the M like, actually it was funny. Listen to Patrick Ewing talking about this after the game. He was like, Creighton's just like Villanova. They drive, they want to suck your defense inside and then they kick it out for threes. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to, well, if you can prevent them from driving in a, like in a one-on-one setting, great. That's ideal. But if you can't, well, maybe just let them shoot twos. Yeah. Um, I heard who's the, the the defensive guru from Michigan who got a Yaklich, oh, you okay. uh, Yaklich or something? I can't remember. Yeah. Yep. He, he, he got a job, a head coaching job somewhere. I can't remember where he went, but I heard him on a podcast talking about because Michigan a couple years ago destroyed Villanova in November. You remember that? Like, yep. um, it was just a, a, they crushed them. And he talked about how the strategy was like, we weren't going to help at all. We were just going to play straight up man to man defense the whole time. And, and if they got in for easy twos, dunks at the rim, we're just going to stick with it. And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, they did early. Like, they got some easy looks and we had to be so committed and disciplined to like, you, you basically toss away all your sort of, traditional man-to-man concepts and yeah. just say like i'm gonna help here stunt there forget all that yeah, yeah. yeah. no it's none of that it's mm-hmm. like everyone it's it's like a pickup game almost where mm-hmm. you don't you just stand next to your guy and and uh and and they they had a lot of success with it and i feel like a lot of teams try to replicate that against teams like villanova and creighton because otherwise if you're getting sucked in these teams are such good passers mm-hmm. that they're going to get the ball moving. They're going to catch you in rotation and get open threes and they got good shooters. So you don't want to do that. So I say all that to say, like, I think that that's created more chances, more opportunities for Christian to go to work and showcase a lot of his playmaking ability. And I think he's played with really good patience and um, he's had definitely a level of creativity and how he's, finished like coach McDermott mentioned he's used the rim really well um, at least tonight he did where he you know just kind of curled around and whether it was a reverse or going on the back side of the rim just to keep those shot blockers away like he's done that he had a couple I, I remember him having a finish like that against Marquette um, but yeah he showcased a lot of the different moves that he has that he's always had I think but I feel I like love how I love how he can, can go like both directions yeah, you know, he can drive right and spin left, or drive left and spin right, really like seamlessly. I think he that's just, he just and I think he just has a he just has a real good feel right now of when mm-hmm. to when to do what, you know. And um, he, he just seems like he's playing under control, and obviously it's it's huge for Creighton because if teams are going to play him play him like that defensively, they need guys who can make plays in one on one situations, yes, 100%. and and Christian can. So he's a tough matchup for a lot of teams with his ability to put the ball on the like he catches it like the elbow. Yep. And he need only needs one dribble or 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 two maybe uh one dribble to set you up and get by you and then then he's at the rim finishing. So um yeah, he's been good, man. He's been really yeah. good lately. I like the way I like the way he's reading the game too cuz he'll come down like you just said He'll come down in that little trailer spot from the inbounds, basically, and he'll catch around that elbow area. 
and he won't look to shoot. Like he won't ever look to pull up from that spot and try to shoot because I think he knows that's not his best way to score. Um, so the first thing he comes down to is like he, he he'll he'll catch, and then he'll kind of look for a DHO, and if he gives it up, he'll look for somebody to screen. Um, and if he gets a switch, he'll he'll go down the post and back the, the smaller defender down. Yeah. But then also, if he catches in that spot and he tries to execute one of those little DHOs to get just to get everything mo- moving and flowing, um, if he reads that that uh, you know the defender is hugged up on Marcus or Mitch or Denzel or whoever he's trying to create that little interchange with, he'll just kind of like you know casually take a couple dribbles, um, pull his defender out a little bit you know, from the, from the rim and just go at him and just use like a plethora of moves. You know, like I said, he's really good going left and right. He's really good at creating angles and leverage. And um, he's deceptively long for an undersized five. So he doesn't need a whole lot of space to avoid getting his shot blocked. I think that's the one thing that's really, yes. Yeah. So he he like hangs in the air Mm -hmm. at times. And he's got a lot stronger too. So he's better. Mm-hmm. He's far better at finishing against those bigger defenders. Um, and he's just not a guy I can remember. Like he doesn't ever get, he doesn't ever seem overwhelmed when he's going down there. He seems like he has a really good idea of how to set up bigger, stronger, longer defenders and create angles for him to score at a high rate down there. And I mean, yeah, he looks like reflected well, in the percentages. He looks like he's playing with a lot of confidence too. Like he mm-hmm. knows that I've got this slower footed big man. Yeah. He's that dude's got a, he's taller. He's got size, but he's, he can't keep up with my quickness. And all I got to do is, you know, set him up, like you said, and, and find the right angle to the bucket. And I'm going to get, I'm going to get to, I feel like he's just, he's got a great feel right now. So we'll see how teams adjust. If they like, do they try to just play all the way off him? Even if he catches it at the free throw line, like, I don't know what you do, but, um, Maybe there's some tendencies that someone can pick up on. Um, he's going to be huge on Saturday for in that Villanova game. I cannot game. wait for Christian Bishop versus Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've been that, waiting. I've been wanting that since Thanksgiving. When I was like, oh, JRE's leveled up. And then you saw Christian play when they got started. You're like, oh, that's going to be a fun one. That might determine the game. Oh, for sure, right? I think that's the – Yeah. Because everything else seems like, I mean, Marcus Collins going to be fun, but everything else kind of seems like a little bit of a wash, doesn't it? Like that might be where it's whoever can win that battle of the versatile five that you know. Because JRE can step out and shoot now, so he's not one of those guys you can just, um, you know, leave to help those drivers, you know, or yeah. or or collapse on those when they get those two feet in the paint and they start pivoting and, um, you know, looking for those cutters like. You have to guard him out there now because he'll shoot those and he'll hit them. So that's going to be a fun battle. And he's quick enough defensively. He can move enough to where maybe he can take away some of Christian's drives as, you know, like whether it it slips to the rim or is, you know, fake the dribble handoff, go and goes type things. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I'm really interested for that game because I felt like for 75 of like 80 minutes last year, Creighton looked like the better team of the two head to head. So I'm really curious to see what this what the what the matchup looks like this year, because they're not all that different, but they're different in enough ways that 
it sh- it's at least interesting to me to see where how if there's a gap there at all. Because like I've said oh. all like I said all year, I've kind of been weirded out by the fact that everyone went into the year assuming there was like Villanova and a giant gap between them and Creighton. And I was like, is there? So I'm really curious to see what it looks like now that we're this late into the season. Each team kind of seems like they're into a pretty good rhythm. They understand who they are. Um, so I'm really curious to see that battle now because I want to see if I was like not seeing something in the off season that everybody else kind of assumed was true based on what was coming back and who was adding what. Um, Cause I never really got into that whole, like there's a gap between Villanova and the rest of the league. I felt like there was, I felt like one and two were one and one a, and then there was a gap. So we'll see how yeah. it plays out. I, I, my theory is that Villanova is going to have a hard time guarding Creighton. That's what I think now, too. Now don't I, you, I don't, I don't know I if too. they I don't, don't guard the Creighton's dribble very gonna, well at all. Right now that's, that's the thing. So, um, you know, Damian Jefferson, Marcus Sigurowski are two guys. I think that the Wildcats are going to have a ton of problems with mm-hmm. the question I think will be, is Creighton going to hit these threes? Cause like right. Creighton's going to get open threes because of those guys ability to get downhill. Yes. Are they, are, are they going to knock them down? I think that to me is probably the, it's probably the difference um, really for both teams. Like Creighton's going to probably give up open looks to Samuels. Like, is he going to hit, mm-hmm. um, and and I mean, if he doesn't go for thirty, Georgetown beats them. That's right, because they could not guard Georgetown off the dribble. So that's what I that's what I took. That my main notes from that game were Villanova really struggles to guard like um, dynamic wings that can put the ball on the deck and create offense. Well, th- I mean, you think about their lineup; they've got you know more and Gillespie are. Or their guards, but then it's it's Robinson Earl, Swider, Caleb Daniels, and Caleb Daniels yeah. and uh Samuels. Right. So those of those top six, I mean, who who is your lock? That's why losing Sadiq Bay, yeah, it um is pretty impactful. And like last time I looked at Villanova's defensive numbers, they were not good, Matt. They were mm-hmm. they're not good now. It's the best offensive team in the league. So I agree. That's what I counteract yeah. that. Right, you have to hit uh, shots to keep up in the in general. So yeah, like yeah, flat out, you got to make shots to win. So, um, I just yeah, I just feel like there's not a gap there. That's what I mean. Because I watched Nova and I'm like, yeah, they're really good. I they're definitely uh, a second weekend program, and depending on who they find at at that point, yeah, they can make a run, a deep run. I I don't. I'm not trying to say this to knock Villanova. I'm just saying it like I think Creighton's there too. That's only that's all of all I'm saying. I don't think there's a gap there, at least not as big as what was projected to be in the off season. That one, it just like I said, it weirded me out. But we'll find out. We're gonna find out soon. Yeah, we will. The other, the other thing I'm impressed with before we jump into questions here, because I'm looking through them, I'm see if they have any that would jump on this talking point. Um. So far, I'm kind of – I know that people probably would go into the year thinking um, the way Marquette and Georgetown are in transition mode after they lost all that they lost from a roster standpoint, that Creighton probably should have swept those teams. Um, and they probably – and you'd argue they probably should have beaten Butler, who they're better than, even though they didn't have Marcus. Um, 
Butler, by the way, who Aaron Thompson took over against St. John's tonight too. So that dude is playing at a high level. Um, they ended St. John's big winning streak in overtime at Hinkle. So, uh, but like the two games that Creighton has had to avenge this year, I think the way they've done it has been really impressive to me because they, <laughs> and I don't know what this is a sign of, but I feel like it's a sign of a really mature, self-aware group of guys that they're not, I'm not saying they're taking this season lightly or they're going through the motions, but I do think there is an element to that, that they're just like, they know that March is what matters to them in. They just, all of this stuff is just about building toward that. And I've talked about, we just talked about this with Jordan, uh, Jordan Scurry. So like, I, I'm, I, you know, I might be repeating myself here, but I, when I watched the George, the Georgetown game was gonna be really interesting to me to see how Creighton, uh, came out and played versus how they played last Wednesday. And the game was entirely different, just like the Marquette game was. They beat they beat Georgetown where Georgetown controlled that game in on last last Wednesday. Same thing on Saturday. They beat Marquette the same way Marquette beat them in Omaha earlier in the season. So I think that's just a sign of a group that's able to watch film, diagnose problems, um, isolate situations where they can be better and then execute it in a game against that very same team that exploited it. I don't know what that says about them. I don't know where that leads them in terms of a destination in March. I don't know if that means your Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four or first round and out if you get the wrong matchup or what. But it, it's a, it feels like a positive to me that they can flip the script that dramatically and make two games against two teams look that different just game to game. Uh, Matt throwing something at the wall know, there a little bit. I don't know. No, like I think you have. I think you're onto something, and but I'm just not quite sure what it is. Like, That's yeah. I'm I'm that way too. I don't even really know what it is yet, but I feel like there's something there. No, yeah. I, that's that. I like. I'm trying to think through it because I was on that narrative too, man. Like I wrote a preview story today leading into this game about how, you know, Creighton flipped the script against Marquette. Could he do it again against Georgetown? And then after the game, I'm writing a, a game story, and I'm kind of like making mention of the fact that you know they did it against Marquette. Um, you know, fix their the problems that led to that that defeat in December on Saturday. That it was fine. They 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 turned it, and then same thing against. Georgetown in these two games they flipped the script um but what does that mean I'm not sure Mm -hmm. like it does it does it mean that Creighton um maybe lost its way at some point during the first part of the season at times like did it get a little bit too comfortable did it underestimate the um the level at which it like the level of which is required from a focus and effort standpoint. Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, part of me thinks that it's something along those lines. I mean, maybe the Jays just played poorly, you know, like you're not yeah. going to play your best. And maybe right. those other teams actually just played extremely well. Like Marquette was really good in that first game. And so was Georgetown. I don't know what the answer is to that, Matt, but there is something there, and, and if you're an optimist, you're like, well, let's look at the calendar. I'm looking at my 
my my wrist like a wristwatch like what time is it it's go time like yeah. this is the time of year that you want to see a team make those kind of improvements and elevate its play and clearly Creighton has done that over the last week now it's just two games so um and and with the revenge factor at play like it gave Creighton a lot of motivation to do address those things and, and play with a certain edge now um you know Villanova there's going to be plenty motivated to play that and and do it um in a similar fashion but can can they bottle that up and take it to DePaul in two weeks and can they finish out the season with the same sort of blueprint that they've shown over the last couple of days I think that to me will be um something worth watching but I get where you're coming from I think that the uh, well I don't know if you noted this with Jordan in your podcast or not but like Damian Jefferson said after the Marquette game that they met as a team on on Thursday and, and they had what he called a mental day of, of practice where they just sort of talked about their goals and their roles and what they need, what they were missing from their game, what they needed to add to it, um, how they could be better. And it seems like that's sort of like team-wide soul searching has mm-hmm. led to them finding something. Now, can they sustain it? That's a question. And, and so my, my thought, Matt was like, is that more, is it more of a long-term thing or is it more of a opponent specific thing? Like, were yeah. they able to, it was just the, the matchup against Marquette and Georgetown where they saw, Hey, this is where we were um, deficient. We got to fix that for this game and same with Georgetown. Or is it a sign of like, no, this is what we want to be every game. And, and can they do that? So I don't know. I don't know if I've really fully built on what you were saying, but like, I was kind of working through the thoughts. No, no, in my no. Head I think it, like, I think it, it's, it's all, it all webs off of it. I, you know, the working theory, I'll explain the working theory that we came up with because it, I don't know. It makes sense to me. I did, I did consider the team meeting you're talking about, you're referring to there. I just have that in the back of my mind right now. I'm not, I don't know what to feel about that yet because there's also a part of me that, that knows that Creighton is a better team than Marquette and Georgetown. So I don't know how much a team meeting. That, plays that's that's that. uh, yeah. I'm, that's I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to think hard about what that, what the ramifications of that meeting did for them. The thing that I'm looking at is, and it ties to the fact that, that I really think that, last March is eating at this, at this team because they had so much momentum going into New York that they were like that, that getting ripped away from them suddenly. And in the unprecedented way it happened, I really did did think it, it leaves like some kind of feeling of, and it's a stupid, you know, it's a little cliche narrative, but that feeling of there's something that, is still left out there that we didn't do. We didn't get to finish writing that story like we thought we were going to be able to. So then you put them in this situation where they have to go through all these unprecedented protocols just to keep themselves game ready. And honestly, I I know I don't want to get into a situation where we're blaming teams for not being good at that, but Creighton's been really good at that. Like credit where it's due, they have not gotten themselves – um, whatever they're doing, it's working because they haven't gotten into a pause yet. Knock on wood. They haven't got anybody sick. 
Um, they went through it early in the season, but the minute like it was go time, the minute that schedule came out and they had a game to play, um, they haven't missed anything. If they're 15 games into Big East play right now, they're like lapping the Big East field essentially with games played. So there's something to be said about the maturity that it takes to go through that the way they're doing it right now. Um, and I know it's a, it's a volatile situation and it's not always in their control. So I could eat those words later, but when I look at this season so far and the way it's playing out, the, 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 the working theory is like it's built around like data collection, essentially. Like they're just, they're, they're practicing and playing these games. And I think this is something that the Big East has always, always been underrated for is there's so many different styles in this league that you prepare yourself for basically everything you're going to see in March through what you play through a Big East season, essentially. Because there's so many different coaching philosophies and um, the way teams are made up and all that. Like, you just see a different a different team on a nightly basis, basically. So I think the way they've responded to, like I said, the way they've responded to losses against Marquette and Georgetown, because they were different types of losses, right? They weren't, they weren't created the same way. Um, both those teams aren't built the same way. They don't try to do the same things. Um, the way that Creighton responded and nullified the elements of the game that got them beat in the first matchup, I think is an important lesson for them to learn while they're building toward March because they know they've beaten this before. They've over, they, they've, they've, they've overcome a hot shooting team in a 16 point deficit with a, a zone defense and some great execution offensively. They've, they've played a really tough, physical, long, athletic UConn team when their number one dude is going for 40 on them, and they've had to kind of like get the game back in control um, and win an overtime game away from home. Uh, they've given the ball to Damian Jefferson in clutch situations when the game's on the line. Um, they've had Christian Bishop take over a game. They've had Denzel Mahoney take over a game. They've had Marcus, Mitch, DJ, all those guys take over a game. Alex O'Connell's taking over a game. Ryan Kalkbrenner's taking over a game. Like they just have won in so many ways. And I do understand the frustration from the fan base because they expected a Gonzaga Baylor type of season where Creighton just ripped through it. Um, one or two losses in league play, contended for that Big East title, was right there with Nova as a top 10, top five, top 10 team all season. And it hasn't played out that way, and fans kind of wonder why. I I understand that because from a storybook perspective, it doesn't it hasn't played out that way. But I also think at the end of the day, they've done everything else, and all they care about is March. When you look at these guys' legacies, like Mitch came to Creighton to play in four NCAA tournaments. This is potentially his last one. Denzel Mahoney came here to play on a big stage and and show professional scouts that he could play in big moments against top, top teams. This is his last time to do it. Um, Damian Jefferson has sacrificed incredibly. That dude could be a number one option on 70% of college basketball. And he's basically turned into a Swiss army knife for Creighton. He's like, I'll guard this dude. I'll grab this many rebounds against that six ten dude, that six ten dude. Um, I'll drive and kick. I'll, I'll be an auxiliary part to the Marcus and, Mitch show if you need me to be I'll let Denzel take a lot of shots uh Christian the same way there's just like they're sacrificing a lot um for the greater good that I, and then when I look at the way they've won these games they've won 
in so many different ways that last year's team didn't win. Last year's team won basically the same way. You know, they, they were incredible offensively. They would um, get these stretches in games where they could put an, an absolutely crazy run on you and bury you and you'd get on tilt and then they'd make it a wipeout. And that's what made them a trendy dark horse final four pick at the end of the year. Um, and I think that the way the season has played out right now, people aren't sure if this team's even a second weekend team because they've had so many close calls and the offense hasn't been consistent. And I'm just like, I don't know if I'm there yet. I feel like there's some value in what they're doing right now that they've won close games. They've won blowouts. They've won games where they haven't played well and they've had to rally. Um, they've also lost games where they haven't played well uh, they, that against teams that they should beat. I just think there's, there's this team has learned a lot of lessons about how to get it done as opposed to last year's team that I don't want to call them front runners, but when it got rolling, it was hard to stop them that there wasn't a whole lot of adverse situations they dealt with in that process. So that's, that's my, yeah, working, that's my working theory on it. Anyway. We'll I see. see. Yeah. Well, it, it is actually kind of remarkable how few close games that last, last year's team had. Right. <laughs> it was either. Yeah. We beat you by 20 or we lose by 15. <laughs> yeah. We're not shooting or, or we give it up. We give up a, bu- a bunch of, of bunch of threes. Cause we, you know, Creighton was like compromised and limited defensively last year. They had to take a lot of gambles. Um, while I agree that this season and for a lot of the players, it's going to be defined by what happens in March. Like this team is based on, because it, well, what it accomplished last year in the regular season and not getting the chance to prove itself in the postseason, this postseason is everything. But you can pick up bad habits along the way that can almost for sure handcuff you going into March. And I think that Creighton was flirting with that a little bit. And so these last two games maybe are a sign that they either recognize that or maybe they're just making that next step um, as as a team from a developmental standpoint that is just natural at this point in the season. I don't know, but um, there there are some obviously some encouraging signs over the last two games and and things that if Creighton can be consistent with um, will serve will serve them, it will serve them well in March. Gotcha. Yeah, I just wanted to pick your brain on that because I felt like. I felt like they was starting to stick to the wall a little bit. So I had to ask somebody of your expertise. I was like, is that, is that something or not? Um, well, one of the things that people talk about all the time about making deep runs in the tournament is having a team that's versatile, that can win a shootout, that can win a grinder, that can uh, withstand a 10 to two surge or a 14 to five run from the opponent, get back in it. Um, that can, deal with one guy having a terrible shooting game and still win, you know, like all those different things. Like you, you laid it out pretty good that Creighton's found that Creighton's kind of experienced a lot already this year. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and is still sitting in second place and is a ranked team and all that. So, um, it, it, it does seem set up to have, to be in position to have success, but obviously it's got to do like, I think, I think when you get done with the turn, that's the weird thing about March Madness is like, it all comes down to how a team performs and that shapes the narrative more than anything. Like if a team yeah. goes one and yeah. done, then all of a sudden you start pulling all the little flaws 
that you spotted in February and January of like, so I told you, I told you that was going to yeah, come back to bite for them. Sure, for sure. But if, and, Cause and that's the other, it, that's the one, actually, that's the one thing that experience wins in college basketball. But the one thing this team does not have is experience together in March. They right. have not, they have not played that type of basketball with each other yet. But that's what that's, I'm saying. So like you, you can write the narrative however you want based on that, that result. And it's so unpredictable. I mean, I, the, the one thing that always stands out to me about March, I like, the, the one run that I'll, I mean, there's so many, but like, you remember Michigan getting to the final game? Was it three years ago? When they lost to Villanova? Yeah. Yeah. Like, didn't Michigan win on like an insane shot against Houston? Yeah. Jordan Poole hit like a 30, 45 footer or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, what are the odds of him hitting that? What about Loy- Loyola's final four run? How many game winners did they hit on along the way? Right. And they had two I know, in but, the first two rounds. Like, right. Yeah. So it's like, it, it comes down to something. So, I mean, who, how do you, how do you, how do you sort of, it, it's hard for me to like assess big picture things when I know that the tournament is going to be something that it's it just, it just happens how the ball bounces, <laughs> yeah. man. And it's crazy. So um, we'll see what this team can do. I think that it, it does have a lot sort of in its chamber, so to speak, to draw back on if it gets what it, if when it faces adversity in March, it's going to everyone does. Mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately it's just going to come down to, are you going to hit that three when you're open? Uh, you know, are you going to rotate, quickly enough to set your feet and draw that charge or are they going to whistle you for a block? I mean, it's, it'll be like four or five plays in one of these games and Craig will hope that it makes the plays necessary to win. Yep. Let's get into questions. Um, Cause we've got quite a few of them. So we might not have, I might not have done a great job from a time management standpoint, but I just like talking to my guy, Johnny Atawa. Sorry guys. You can fast forward if you want to. Um, <laughs> I know we don't get to talk very much. Like people don't realize that me and Matt, I mean, I probably talk to you when when it's a regular sort of season and not we're not stuck at home. Mm-hmm. When we're sitting at the practice, like I probably talk to you. My wife's number one, <laughs> and you're the number two because I, I see, you, see you every day. We sit next to each other at practice. I mean, now we run the gamut. We don't always talk hoops. We talk about. Sometimes, we, sometimes we come up with Star Wars characters for hoops characters. Yeah. 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 Anything yeah. and everything under the sun. And there are times when we're sitting at practice and it's been over for 30 minutes. And I'm like, I don't even know what's happened. But we're, we're like standing there with our backpacks on and we're like yeah. extending the conference. Like, all right, how do I get out of this conference? Like, yeah, we're like, just, yeah. like the janitors, they're cleaning up or, or mm-hmm. uh, the, the basketball team, like they've, they've single filed like, or they've, they've left each guy is like trickled out of the locker room, showered, <laughs> eaten and they're like what are you still doing here and i'm like i don't know i'm just how many (laughs) how many women's basketball games have we covered where the lights are off and we're still talking about like this and so many tournament runs and like sweet 16 like the magic of it and like how creighton breaks through i mean it's just endless so yeah we've lost we have a lot of hours to catch up on this year that's right that's right so you're Um, you're along for the ride uh listeners and uh my apologies (laughs) for sure i extend them as well um 
uh, Hilltop alum wants to know uh, what changed between basically last Wednesday and tonight. Was it just Georgetown missing shots this time versus last? I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'll try to keep it short because we've, yeah. we've touched on that we'll a lot. To re- we'll like, try to be efficient with our answers here. Yeah. Well, if it's something new, then I don't know. I can't make any promises. But <laughs> since we've since we've talked about this a decent amount, yeah, the mentality that Creighton brought defensively was a major difference. Um, you know, it, it the the thing that stood out in the first game, especially early, was that Javon Blair. Whether it was, I think a lot of it was miscommunication by Creighton in terms of giving Javon Blair open looks, mm-hmm. whereas Pickett got some in rhythm looks in transition where they didn't match up quickly enough. But either way, both of those guys got going early and saw those saw the ball go through the net and gained some confidence and some rhythm. And it appears that those guys, at least from Creighton's scouting report, that those guys are sort of streaky. Like when they get hot, they get rolling and your job as a, a team going into a game is to keep them clamped down, especially early, um, um, make them earn it. And so Creighton didn't do that in, in the first game, but in the second game, they, they did that. And, um, and they were more committed and, and more aggressive with their double teams down low and, and protecting the paint. So um, it was, it was a complete sort of inversion of what you saw in game one. Yeah. Uh, shot making is definitely a big part of it. Georgetown hit some, you know, you go, if you go, if you've if you ever gone back and watched that first game, um, Georgetown did throw in some threes that I think Creighton would go back and be like, yeah, we're okay with giving that one up. That just went in the net um, tonight. They didn't. So it, it's, you kind of play that with the, you, you play with the numbers a little bit and you assess your best means of winning um, and, and you prepare accordingly and act accordingly when you're in the game. Uh, Georgetown, I, although I think they're playing at a really high level right now, um, that was different. The, the, the shot making in that game is not how they're built um, and not how they rely on or how they want to be successful. So there was a little bit of Georgetown being playing one of their better games in terms of how good they were at making those shots versus tonight, which is a little bit more toward their average uh, regression of the mean. Um, but I thought Denzel Mahoney disrupting Javon Blair, uh, just not letting him become, it wasn't even that he wasn't letting him score as much and making his, you know, making the, making the, the shots he was getting tough looks. And it was that he wasn't a facilitator either. Cause that was the other part of Blair's game. Oh like, yeah. In Omaha. Good point. He had yep. like, five, he had like five dimes in that first half, like in seven for the game. So it was like a 20 piece and he was a major facilitator and, in getting that offense going for them. So uh, neither were neither parts of that game of his game were working the night. And I think that's a credit to Creighton locking in on him and making him as uncomfortable as possible, not letting him get to his spots, not letting him get downhill and facilitate and find guys for easy finishes. Um, that was a big part of it. So there were some differences in terms of Creighton. We like to call it control and the controllables. That's what we say on this podcast. So um Creighton did control the controllables better tonight. So it wasn't just um, make shot, miss shot. Uh, Creighton Otter wants to know if you, if you would have been told before the game that Denzel and Marcus would post those shooting lines, how bad would you say the Jays were going to lose? I don't, I'll go first this time. I don't know that I would have thought that because again, when I'm looking at this season and when I, I like to go back and watch a lot of games and like 
comb through box scores. I waste too much time on looking back <laughs> just because I like to learn from it as I go. Um, and I've also got a lot of free time with the pandemic and everything. So um, I don't know if I think that's a death death sentence for Creighton anymore. I think that they can survive um, guys being off. So um, though I, I think that you, you probably look back at the way the first game went and go, well, Creighton's got to be on to win this game because Georgetown has too many options inside and out based on that first performance. But again, they had two out of character performances from their perimeter guys. Pickett and Blair aren't usually that efficient. So if they could defend them better, they could offset, um, you know, a guy or two for them being off. The, th- the thing that's tough is like Marcus and Denzel are their top scorers. So how many teams can survive that can have their two top scorers be, you know, in the single digits, most of the game um, and still win that game essentially. So I don't know. I probably wouldn't have thought they'd have a great chance, but I've also seen them do it already. So I wouldn't think it was necessarily a done deal. I'd have to see, I'd have to see how how hooked up they were defensively before I would determine whether their fate is tied to Marcus and Denzel being on offensively. Yep, I agree with that. I would have thought that it would have been a 63-63 to 63 game with four minutes ago, though. Well, you were half right. Yeah. Great right. Yeah. <laughs> Great finish with 63. Yeah. It's a good, quite, yeah. good, good prediction there. That's what the, – yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that if, if Creighton's shooters, now Mitch, what was he, like four of nine or something like that. But if Creighton's hitting threes, Creighton is an elite team. Yes. If Creighton's not hitting threes, Creighton is beatable. Mm-hmm. Um, and not like when Creighton's hitting threes, it's it's not beatable because it, you know, it lost to Marquette when it was hitting threes. But um, – when when it's engaged and locked in defensively, yeah, when it's yeah, when it's when it's engaged on defensively and they're hitting threes, they're Gonzaga Baylor level. They're they're up there. Eh, I don't know if I go that far. Maybe not but Baylor, I, but they, I'm Gonzaga. I'm less like I was all about Gonzaga rolling through it and just crown them already. I'm less sure of that now. I don't know well, if they're they I don't know if they're bored or what, but they look beatable and more than they did early in the season. So I don't. Well, know. they they don't shoot it great. I know for, that's not for that's it, my, for a, yeah. For a you know a number one team in the country type thing, mm-hmm. Baylor might the be one. one. I don't want any like don't let anybody play them. That's scary. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So yeah, sorry. when when <laughs> like if Marcus and Denzel aren't hitting their shots against Villanova, I don't think Creighton's going to win. I think to be yeah, that's fair. To be a, a a top ten, top fifteen team, they need at least two of those guys rolling. And mm-hmm. it'd, it'd be obviously very helpful if they had all three of them going. Yeah, hundred percent. From from three, just from a shooting perspective, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, when they I can't be. Rolling. They can't be. They can't be ice cold like that. Yeah, right. Because I think that they, was. What, I think that's what people got caught up in tonight. I mean, even poor Steve Lapis, who used to coach the freaking game. Like, how are you not watching the other end of the floor? I mean, I, I don't know why he wasn't noticing that, but it's like, yeah, Marcus and Mitch or Marcus and Denzel, excuse me, are ice cold. Um, because they were both, I mean, what, what were they, four for 18 for the game total? Yeah. Overall? Uh, yeah, I think they were four for 18 overall, right? Or were they from three? Two for 16? Two for 15? Yeah, two for two for 12 from three okay. combined. And, and then uh, four, four of 18 from the field. Yeah. Those two. So, yeah, it probably, I mean, it felt like to the box score that they were non-factors. But I was just like weirded out by the fact that they 
were having a major impact on the game still just weren't hitting shots um Andrew Berkland wants to know uh this is probably tough what are the all conference teams going to look like so hard to gauge with some uh high impact guys being in the bottom half of the standings and all the COVID pauses. Uh, don't think Creighton gets any first team, but could make case for three guys on second team honorable mention. I'll let you go first on this, but because, but I'll actually give you some credit because you brought this up maybe a month ago or so. You're like, I don't know if Creighton has a single first team guy, but they might have all five second teamers. Like <laughs> they yeah. might have the whole second team to themselves. So I'll give yeah. John a little shout out for that line that he dropped about a month and a half ago or so. Because he like, went, I, how he funny was like, I don't even be. know if Creighton has one first teamer, but they might have every single second team spot. So I thought that's pretty funny. So we'll shout that out. I'll let you tackle that one first. Honestly, like that's what I want to see. I want to see him get like four second teamers because I know they won't get all five, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what they're deserving of right now, in my opinion. I think they've got a lot of guys who are just playing really well in their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, my top five. Look, I'm on Team Sandro. I know that there are flaws, but I like his game. You're on Team um, Sandro for first team or player of the year? Or what are you saying? First, what are you first saying? team. Okay. First team. All right, that's fair. Yeah. Um, I was like, if I you think were gonna say, I, if you were calling Sandro player of the year, we were going to have an argument. So I think Champagny's the player of the year. Do you? Right now, that's a that's a good call. I like Champagny. Yeah, that's an interesting. Um, one. I don't think I can get a first team without. Now I didn't watch the game tonight, so I don't know what he did against Butler, but. Uh, Champagne, but um, I don't know if I can have a first team without Robinson or Wall on it. Mm-hmm. I need. I, I think David Duke's had a really good year. Ew. Um, you don't like it? Maybe not as efficient as you could have been, but I mean, his efficiency is horrifying. So yeah, no, not. For oh my me. god! You can have that one all day. <laughs> I will never. I'm not there. <laughs> no. Uh, I like David Duke's game. I do too, but not for nah. He doesn't have any help right now. I mean, yeah, Watson. that's the, that's like how you supposed to, if Providence has an inside outside game, they should be better than what they are right now. You don't, you're not a Nate, so Nate Watson guy. I, I'm actually not. I, oh, I okay. like, that's where we, that's where we, that's where we have a different difference there. I like, I think Nate Watson is huge for what Providence wants to be. And David Duke is the one holding them back right now. Oh, really? Yeah. That's how Man, I, feel. I, yeah. I Yeah. I don't know. I don't think Watson's holding them back, but um, like, okay. But back to my teams. Yeah, back to your teams. Well, I don't think that you can get – that's the tough part about it. Like, I think if if Xavier played a full year, I think Scruggs would be in the running. Um, Book Knight, if he was healthy, would be in the running. Yep. Um, so, let's see. I said I think I've had Sandro. It's Robinson six guys, Earl, right? Champagne, Duke. Are you doing six um, or are you no, doing five? I'm doing five. <laughs> you just never want to do six. So, so um, well, then you got to tell me your player of the year. Then you can't nah, you can't cop I'll, out. Then yeah, I'll put DJ on there. I already did. I said okay. Okay. So I'll put DJ on there. I'll get Damon Jefferson, David Duke, uh, Champagne, Robinson Earl, Mamu Kelashvili. Who am I missing? Who, yeah, who are you missing? Is that is that? Well, six? Gillespie maybe. I didn't say him. Yeah, I think but... you're at five. I think you're at five right now with Champagne as POI. Yeah, and that's what I, that's all. So, uh, that's all I'm doing. Oh, you're not doing. That's right. That's right. So, so you're not doing six. So I'm that's, not doing that's, Biggie's rules. 
that's your five. All right. So John's five is it's so I'm glad you put DJ on there because I was about to make the argument for him as player of the year. Because I do think that if Creighton, it's going to be, listen, we're in a super unconventional year. Not everyone's going to play the same amount of games, but I think Creighton deserves some credit if they get through a full freaking season. Here, here's this, Matt. If Creighton wins out, Creighton ties with Nova at 80, with a winning percentage of 80 mm-hmm. and shares the title. And that's that's assuming that Nova doesn't add any more games and gets to play all of its games, and Creighton plays all of its games. Correct. Creighton, a lot of Creighton, right, and Creighton has to win all of them and beat yeah. beat Nova twice. But if it does that, it finishes sixteen and four, and Villanova finishes twelve and three. I think. So it's the same deal. Yeah, it's the same percentage. Right. Interesting. So do you? Um, not, so like I felt like last year, you know, there was some self fulfilling prophecy where. I didn't think Miles Powell played like the player of the year in the league, yet they gave it to him anyway. But he was also the preseason guy. Yeah. So if Creighton wins the league again, and we, like we said, we're struggling to find first teamers for them because they all kind of have, they kind of have, they're more of like a sum of the parts type of type of team. Um, who gets the recognition for that? Now, here's the thing, Matt. If, if Creighton, to, to the if victor Creighton, go the spoils. That's the way it always yeah. is decided in these leagues. If Creighton were to win out, Mark and Segarowski is going to be playing really well. Like, they, they can't win out without him being a baller. Now, and I think he's he's played – I mean, this is one – I feel like he's gone – his trajectory has been up and up and up since the middle of January. Yep, since, but, the, since the hamstring. Yep. But it, it's going to be – for Creighton to do something like that, it would be have to be very clear. Okay, so yours um, is like yours is like it, causing it's kind of like, like they're not they're not yeah. going to be that without this type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so I think Marcus would would probably jump above DJ, and, and he'd have so many eyeballs on him that you know the moment he did something spectacular, which he'd have to do for Creighton to make some type of run like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd get the credit but anyway what's your team give me your team right now yeah okay so my team i'm gonna go i'm just gonna go with six because that's the way biggies does it so i gotta put it that way so i think i might sit out poi for a second but when i'm thinking about first teamers i agree with you 100 percent on jre love that dude playing at a really high level uh sandro too big time player um as much as i think he's maybe I mean, I don't know. It's not that he's overrated. It's just that they, they they say outlandish things about him, and they don't – so it's like they go too far to praise him. You know what I mean? They overshoot it. Like Casey yeah. Jacobson this weekend said uh, if he had – if he made a list of the top five most entertaining players in college basketball, Sandra would be on it. And the other two guys you mentioned were Cade and Suggs. And it's like, it's like dude – why, why can't you just say, like, Sandro's really good at this, this, and this? And, like, why – I don't know what it is about Seton Hall guys, but, like, they always overshoot the praise. I think it's because Willard does it. Oh, he does all the time. Willard's you, like – Dude, go to – everybody listening, <laughs> Twitter search, like, Kevin Willard and, like, best player. And there are so many quotes going back, like, a decade where he's like, this dude's playing, like, the best player in the country. Like, I don't even – one dude I found, I don't even remember who he is. 
I've never heard of him. I had to like look up his numbers. I'm like, who is that guy? You know what I mean? He uh, in 2011 or something. He said he was playing like the best point guard in the country. I'm like, who the f- who is that? Who's yeah. that person? Willard's had the best player in the country on his team for the last 10 years, Damn according right. to Willard. Seriously, yeah. So, so yeah, it's like they overshoot but, the praise. Like, what is why? yeah? I like, yeah. but it's I and what other coaches do too. I mean, I, I texted you this. Dan Hurley said that. Sandro's the best offensive player that he's seen yeah. this season by far. By far. And it's like, quote. wait, why can't you just let it live? Like, if you say this best player, the best offensive player you've played all year, there's an argument there. By far? Come on, man. Really? By far? That's just, you know what so, I mean? You're, you're overshooting it again. Like, but so Sandro, Sandro might have a lot of guys. So maybe they just teach that in their, like, that, right? Maybe. You know, yeah. But Jake, Casey Jacobson, like, yeah, he's the top five most entertaining player. Like, really? You can't come up with five guys more entertaining than – all right. Fair enough. You said that on national all television, right. so you got to live with it. So, yeah, yeah. JRE, Sandro, uh, DJ for sure, Champagne for sure. Um, Gosh, now I'm trying to th- – like, you know who I'm really liking a lot that – this might be a little overcorrection on my part because I haven't been as big of a fan of his game throughout his career until this year. So it might be overcorrection on my end. Aaron Thompson is really impressive to me. I love the way he's playing with. Now, first of all, I think Bryce Enzi and Bryce Golden are not good. So he's got two basic stiffs at po- at the post position. Um, and he's got a bunch of young dudes, young, you know, little, little pups as he's like, backcourt mates basically um and then some new guys in Jair Bolden and Bo Hodges who's played like a, you know two or three games with them Aaron Thompson can take over a game like as well as anybody in this league and I've seen you know we've seen him do it a couple times now so I kind I don't think his numbers are going to reflect it and I don't think Butler is going to be anywhere near consideration for having a first teamer but I'm going to give some love to Aaron Thompson because I haven't really given him love in the past um, just because he's a point guard who can't shoot. And I'm always like, why is that? Why is that something that exists in this? How does Butler come up with these players that literally can't shoot? I don't get like, it. Roosevelt Jones. It's intentional. Do they recruit it? They intentionally are, recruit are, like, yeah. They are two of the most fascinating because they're, they're really good basketball players who can't shoot. Correct. Like they're all conference caliber players who can't shoot, and yeah. you're like, and, and 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 they're not big men. Okay? No, so, right? Yeah, it's like how did you find 21st century wings that can't shoot that are really good I basketball think, players? Like how did you? I, I think I think I I think I remember Matt Painter saying I'm a Purdue guy, so I follow Purdue basketball real closely, and they play mm-hmm. Butler every other year. I think you I think I remember him saying that Roosevelt Jones was the best player he's ever seen who can't shoot. Okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah he, I think he is. And Aaron Thompson's right there. For sure. I totally agree with it's that. It's crazy. I, he's, I just looked at it. He's attempted uh, four threes all year. Mm-hmm. Aaron yes. Thompson. But, I mean, that's, to me, again, it, that's, like, more like, all right, Aaron, I respect that because you know what, what you can't do and you don't try to do it. But but at the same time, you can also take over a game because you're really right. good at well, everything else. Yeah. That's the thing. He's attempted four threes all year, and he's still shooting fifty percent, fifty five percent on twos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and did you watch not, the end? Of, he's not seven the, foot. 
Did you see the last play of regulation tonight against St. John's? No, I haven't. I didn't watch that game yet, dude. It it was super. They had the ball with like I don't know five, eight seconds left or whatever. Posh Alexander was checking him at basically eighteen feet along the baseline, and he made such a grown man move to get by that dude and score and tie the game and send it to overtime. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm really impressed. So I'm giving okay. him some love for the first time. But he's not. A, he didn't make the cut. What's that? You're saying he didn't make the. the no, cut. I am going to put him on there. That's five so far. Because I have JRE, Sandro, DJ, Champagny, Aaron Thompson. Because I just don't know who else to give love to. Like Xavier hasn't. Xavier's played six games. I'm not giving any of their guys. Like, you know, what I mean, they haven't. There's nothing there. Um, who's Marquette? No, like no one on Marquette's a. Uh, but then the other one. And this goes to my narrative that I kind of roll my eyes a lot about. And Steve Lapis said it tonight too. Steve Lapis said about this guy, he's like, he's played pretty good this year, not great. Um, Marcus Segarowski's numbers are essentially what they were last year. You know what I mean? Points per game is right around the same thing. Turnovers are right around the same. They're, I mean, so the points per game are down a little bit. Turnovers are also down a little bit though. Um you know, assists are right around the same. Steals are right around the same. Rebounds right around the same. Three-point shooting is right around the same. Free throw percentage is up. The only thing that's down is that he's not finishing as well inside, at, uh, you know, at the rim. Two-point field goal percentage. Right. That's the thing that's that's cratering his, his shooting from last year. Other than that, he's playing the exact same level of production. And when you factor in that he's seen uh, tougher defenders, tougher defenses, tougher schemes this year because um, – he's the man now that to me is like if, if he if he's hovering around the same production with the increased attention um both both on the court and externally from expect an expectation standpoint i'm giving him credit for that so i'm not like i'm not calling i don't know why everybody's been so quick to call this like a disappointing year for marcus or that he hasn't played at a high level like he went through an off-season surgery people that doesn't just you don't just flip a switch from that and be back to where you were. It takes a minute. Um, plus you don't know what he's gone through in terms of like, if there was something in practice where um, he had to miss time either for quarantine or another nagging injury or what, what it may be, but there's a lot of part of the story we don't know. So to downgrade him because the numbers haven't jumped from last year, I guess, dramatically doesn't seem right because last year it was, at, it was a, he was at a pretty high level last year. Like how much higher could he have gone? If he goes any higher, he's a lottery pick essentially. Like, what, what are we talking about? So, I mean, manage your manage your expectations or know where know where the kid's ceiling is before you say he's a disappointment and whatnot. So, I'm putting him on my group of six, and I'm elevating Damian Jefferson to my Player of the Year because they're 11 and four in the league. They've been at the top the whole way. Um, they get everybody's best shot night in night out. Um, they've played the most games. They have the largest sample to draw from. And I feel like in most of their top performances, not only their wins, but their best performances, Damian Jefferson has been the guy that stands out to me the most when I watch, when I watch the game and ask myself, why did they win tonight? And I feel like because of everything he does, it's been a big part of the reason you go back to the St. John's game in Queens, um, the Yukon game on the road where he, uh, you know, hit the shot to tie it, played really well that game. 
on and on and on. I feel like he's played at a really high level. Uh, the Providence game on the road. Um, the Providence, which one did he score 26 in a loss? Providence game at home, right? Didn't he score 26 in that one when he lost? Mm, sounds right, yeah. Yeah, so he was really good in that one. Uh, gave him a chance. Um, the Seton Hall games, he's played really well. Like, he's my he, – if I want to know why Creighton's at the top of the league through 15 games, which is a larger sample than anybody's gone through so far. I mean, everybody else who's played as many games as Creighton in this league is 500 or worse. They're the only team who is, like – legitimately proven to be good over a large sample of games. Um, and he's, I think he's the main reason most nights. So I'm elevating him to player of the year, which leaves Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, Sandra, Mama Kelly, Julian Champagny, Aaron Thompson, and Marcus Zagorowski is the other guys. Oh, do I need to respond to that? No, you can just tell me. Yeah. I thought you were going to laugh at me or something or I don't know. <laughs> something like that. You're like what? You have that guy. Uh, yeah, so we we, we we were not super efficient with that answer, but that was a fun one though. Oh God, this might be. A, let's 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 get through this one quick. Uh, Mike Famosi wants to know wants us to rank the Big East Conference off or on campus gyms that Creighton has played at so far. So just give me your favorite one then. We're not. I don't want to rank all ten or whatever it is because we've seen them all. We we watch we cover women's basketball and volleyball, so we've seen these. Yeah. Campus. We've seen these campus arenas before. So I like Madonna. Do you? Um, I've been to the alumni hall in, at Providence. It's it's a nice it's a, it's a nice little small practice gym. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like it kind of reminded me of Sokol alumni yeah. hall. I don't know. Marquette's is pretty nice, but they didn't play there. They didn't play at the right they on at campus Fiverr. when they actually played at the yeah. At I do like the Al McGuire Center though. It's one of my favorites. That or yeah. the fin, that or the Finn are my two favorite campus arenas. Oh, okay. So when they play at Villanova, that'll be number one. Exactly. That's what I'm saying too. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was gonna go with too. Yeah, it's it's an easy answer for me. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Let's see. Uh, uh, Jerry Lampy wants to know. Um, he says Jerry Palm has Creighton as an eight seed right now. Thoughts? Well, I guess my first thought is that's kind of dumb. <laughs> Why? Hold on, hold on. Why? Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I guess I haven't looked at it. I I haven't really done bracketology yet. Did you see my tweet? But, a but couple days eight, ago? But an, uh, I don't know what. Which one? I try to follow. Well, anyway. the issue is that Creighton has three quad three losses. Oh, that uh, stuff. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm, I, that's that stuff's not important to me this year. Well, here's the thing is some quote unquote bracketologists are like, that's what they're based. They haven't changed their formula. Well, they should. For a, they should. I agree. Okay. I agree. But that's why I'm not surprised that Jerry Palm has Creighton as an eight or mm. anyone would have Creighton as an eight or a seven. Because if you're using the same formula, Creighton has three quad three losses. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. I mean, Creighton hasn't had a th- quad three loss in four years. Right. So, I know. That's the one thing they were, they were like one of the few teams that hadn't done it, like them in Kansas. Yeah. So to have three is like, what? Um, okay, I don't know. I probably have them in like a six right now because the six is, it means you're <clears throat> ranked somewhere between 21 and 24 right? yeah. or something yeah. like that. So I'd have them at a six with the potential to play up to maybe a four. Um, but it's going to be hard for the committee to assess. I feel like the Big East just because 
Um, while the league played fewer non-conference games, um, a lot, a lot of the teams, especially at the bottom, you know, didn't get that opportunity to build up and grow as a, as a group with new pieces. Mm-hmm. And they did that. They had their developmental track was delayed and you're seeing teams sort of make some surges perhaps later than they would have normally. But, um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how the committee is going to read it based on what, you know, some of these losses that Crane's picked up, but it's, it's crazy to me that like, I can't imagine a scenario where the committee's like, okay, you know, Creighton, you lost three home games. You shouldn't have done that. Um, I mean, this year is we're going to punish you for that, but it's yeah. like, guys, like in big East play, at least I know it's down across all conferences, all major conferences for sure. In terms right. of the home and court advantage that, like home teams are winning fewer games, but in Big East play, it's as dramatic as any league. I think it's like 500. Yeah. Um, let me look it, it up. It might real be quick. below 500 now because Creighton just won. Creighton just won but, but on the Butler road won. twice. Butler won. Butler won tonight. Yeah. Home. It's 50. percent Home teams are 31 and 31 in league play in Big East. That's Last insane. Year, That's insane. Right. Last year, they home teams had a 58.9. Or the winning percentage was 0.589. Yeah. And two years ago, home team's winning <clears throat> percentage was 0.611. That's, that's insane. It's different. So yeah. some somehow the committee is going to have to parse through that data, knowing that and and knowing the teams have, you know, gone on pause and their sort of net ranking shit is is going to be skewed because of all these different factors. Yeah. And how do you like, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I don't. I don't know how they're going to do it either. So I'd probably I can easily just talk and probably be wrong. But the thing here's the thing that I've tried to focus on this year when I'm looking at the NCAA tournament worthy teams. Um, and normally I've been just like what you're saying right there. I look at the quads. I look at the quality of I look at the strength of schedule and the quality of it. But this year I just. I just kind of threw all that into the closet for now. And I'm like, teams are a not playing the same schedules they're playing normally. Uh, they're going into pauses and coming out of like three, four week, essentially hiatuses and performing. Like how much do you hold those performances against them? If they've gone through that, you know, injuries on availability is all kinds of like uncontrollable factors right now that I feel like it's not fair to judge the result as heavily as I normally would. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but what I've tried to look at this year is I've tried to just like, I hate the eye test, but I've tried to just use the observational part of it. Like when I watch these games and then does it line up with their metrics? Or are they getting kind of lucky or they look like, you know, they're, they're, they're an elite team, basically. So, what does Creighton look so like? So, Creighton's an so eight. Far? So, if Creighton's an eight seat, well, they look like a four or a five right now to me. Okay. Okay. You know what I mean? I felt like that's what they've looked like all year, essentially. I don't know, and I think at their best, they've looked like a team that could probably beat a one in the, in the you know a regional like final. sweet sixteen. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Okay. So, a regional semifinal, but uh, yeah, one of the they, one they of the knocks like on those types of teams. One of the knocks that it's, it is indisputable is that Creighton just hasn't played an elite team yet. 
Right. And 100%. Villanova, Villanova fits that category. True. So yeah, so we yeah this whole yeah this whole observation could change based on that performance or those two mm-hmm. games if they get them for sure, hundred percent. Yeah. But I also look at Nova and I'm like, they lost to Virginia Tech, they lost to St. John's in a game that really wasn't that close. Um, they balanced it out with a win against Texas, though. They did. They've ba- that's what the thing is. Villanova's balanced it out like. That's the thing that happens in a season too. That's the other part of it is you have some like clunkers and then you have your games that you played maybe up to your highest ceiling. And then everything else in between is kind of like where you are on most days. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I like Villanova's Villanova hasn't played the big East schedule yet, which is a difficult challenge in its own right, because those are the teams that know you the best and can exploit your weaknesses and take advantage of it. And if you are if you have an off night, you can get caught pretty good by a team that is on their game. Um, that's the thing that the Big East challenges you to do. So, um, or conference play in general. So, that the the what what Villanova did in the non conference helped them elevate to an elite status because you saw them play a lot of really good teams. Um, they got nipped once, but they also went on the road and took, got a big win against Texas Creighton. You thought they had that opportunity against Kansas. They fell short, and then Kansas has kind of struggled too. So you're really wondering, like, wait, if that's not even a great loss right now to an elite team, what what is Creighton essentially? If who's there? But here's the thing, though, who's Matt, their like, who's their big resume booster right now? Like, yeah. what's the wow game? You know what I mean? But I feel like that's the issue with the entire conference in the Big East, just because the, yeah. the league didn't get to play. It, I mean, it, it's playing 20 conference games, so there are only seven available opportunities if you played in an MTE. Right. Five if you didn't. That's not a lot of a sample size. And and you mentioned like Villanova didn't play good teams except for Virginia Tech and Texas. Like Boston right. College and Arizona um, State. They yeah. Arizona yeah. State. Like right. well, they thought we thought Arizona State was going to be better. It's not, but um, you know, that's just it's not a lot. Um right. when you compare it to maybe the Big Twelve that's only playing an eighteen game conference schedule, whereas some of these teams played like nine non conference games. I mean that right. that's a that's a like suitable sample size mm-hmm. versus you know five what, or you know, four. You know or what three jumps out to me as why as I think this 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 whole thing's out of whack and you gotta go by you gotta you, you have to really be sharp with your observations and your evaluation because the numbers aren't gonna do it justice. Look at where Oklahoma is right now. Haven't they just skyrocketed to you? Because on yeah. the on the backs of like who they, of they, the other they, teams they played. Yeah, right. They beat West Virginia. Um, they beat Texas on the road by a point, I think, or a point or two. Um, maybe they beat Texas Tech. Do they beat Texas Tech too? I don't know. They beat Kansas. I, like they've they've no, they've I, added up some wins in conference play that against some teams that are perceived perceived to be elite. But I watched them play Xavier. They got their doors blown off. They looked like a CBI team. So I'm like, hold up. If Oklahoma is a top 10 squad and like a two or a three seed, Xavier put up 102 on them. Like 102 real 102 American points in a 40-minute college basketball game. Cooked them. Like they couldn't guard a damn thing. Travis Steele could have gone out on the court and started banging threes. It was so bad. I don't, I, that's not leaving my head all year. I'm not going to forget that because that that's, I'm just not going to forget that. 
just set the record straight. It was 99. Oh, sorry. My bad. <laughs> it felt like 102. It felt like one. It was 90. It was 99 to 77. Um, Xavier went 19. That's what you do to a, that's what you do to like a, yeah, that's a MEAC game score. Like 99, 77. Right. You don't, that's not, well, it, a, a top 10 team doesn't get 99 to 77. That's, the, but yet they're, they're, here they are like, Right. So well, I'm what like, is okay. That, so what is what's Oklahoma what and what? Mean? Yeah, I don't know what that means. And what is Xavier? I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, we don't know what Xavier is either, right? Yeah. So I mean, what what is Creighton? I watch Oklahoma, and I don't think, and I've seen Creighton play Xavier. I don't think Creighton gets ninety nine seventy seven by anybody. I even Baylor and Gonzaga as good as they are, I don't think they ninety nine seventy seven Creighton. Well, I don't know. So that's Oklahoma, that's 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 what I mean. It's like, how do you evaluate that? Is Oklahoma a two or a three seed in your opinion? Based, no. on res- based on resume, they are, aren't they? I guess if you look purely at the resume, yes. Well, that's what I mean. I don't think we can do that this year. Because right. on resume, they're a two or a three seed. When I watch them, I don't see that. <laughs> but at the same time, if they're a two or a three seed, and then I watch them, and then I watch Creighton, I'm like, well, if they're a two or a three seed, Creighton's like in the three, four, or five range. I mean, I think they're actually better than Oklahoma. So if you're telling me it's that, you know, that's that, that's what I mean. I feel like the observation, the observation and the evaluation have to be super sharp for the committee this year. I don't think you can just go off the resume. Because if you and go off the resume, Oklahoma, yeah, I don't know. If Creighton's even into a tournament team, if you go off the resume, for crying out loud, who they beat? Man, Oklahoma went, they beat, they went Kansas, Texas, Alabama. Back to back. Yeah, they beat Alabama too. Alabama. Alabama's like a hot commodity right now, right? What what's Alabama in a uh, what seed line are they on to you when you think about their They feel they honestly they feel like a 4, but I know that they're going to get like a 2. For sure. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely are going to get a 2, right? But when you watch them, I'm like, "What? I don't think they're a I don't know if they're if they're uh a f- better than a 4 or a 5. Like there's a lot of teams that are like in that grouping right now. So what separates them? I don't know. Is that just college basketball, though? I don't yeah. know. because That's what I mean. I think there's two really super elite teams, and then there's a lot of really good teams. Yeah. And I think Creighton is soundly in that really good group, but it's a pretty – if you threw the net out, you're picking up a lot of teams with it. You know what I mean? Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan, um, Wisconsin, Villanova, Oklahoma, Texas – like you could just go through everything. Florida State, there's just a lot of really good teams this year. But they're not necessarily like I don't know. Normally you feel like you know who the four ones are and you're like, all right, well, that's that's settled. The sample sizes just aren't this aren't gonna give you that concrete um data to parse through, you know what I mean? So you have to just you have to be you have to know who these teams are and what they're capable of in order to seed them properly. I don't think Creighton's an eight, but that feels silly to me that they're, it feels silly to me that Creighton would have to play, would have to go through a one seed to get to the sweet 16. I feel like they've played higher level basketball than that. Like eight seeds, eight, eight and nine seeds to me are teams that are like on the bubble. Well, I think about that year 2018 where Creighton beat Villanova um, and w- that was the year where I felt like if Creighton didn't beat Villanova at the end of the year, you remember when it kind of had to hit the oh, skids yeah. and then it 
it rallied and Kyrie went off in that game at home and went to overtime. The Jays won. Like if Creighton didn't pick up that win and if Creighton would have lost to DePaul where Marcus uh, Foster hit like a pull-up three-pointer with like 13 seconds left to win that one. And, and I think Manny Suarez, how about a Manny Suarez reference at 1.30 in the morning? Uh, he went off in that game. And if Creighton had won those two games, I didn't. I, I was like, I don't think Creighton's in the tournament. For sure. I totally agree and, with you. And, and Creighton was an eight. Like eight, eight, nine, ten, that's like the right side of the bubble. Yeah, you're right. Creighton's a little bit higher than that right now. It feels but like they are. Anyway. I can, I definitely can understand if you just look at the numbers and say, "Well, what's Creighton's best win at yep. UConn?" Mm-hmm. Right. And what's and Creighton has three quad three losses. Right. So if you just look at it like that, um, okay. But I'm also like, well, why why isn't UConn rated higher or? Um, should Creighton get more credit for beating UConn, which has a win over USC, which the net loves USC, you know, or mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a complicated year. Yeah. And if everybody thinks, if, if everybody's talking about St. John's being on the bubble, Creighton killed them twice. Right. So like Seton Hall, same thing. If Seton Hall's bubble team, Creighton beat them senseless in Omaha and rallied to beat them in a shootout on the road. Like, if all these teams are bubble teams, Creighton's already handled them. So that's right. your so your best so wins is, for Creighton are over bubble teams essentially. So they're not a bubble team to me because they haven't lost to a bubble team yet. UConn UConn's like a fascinating case to me because like UConn oh, yeah. UConn is 54, 51st in the net, um, and it has a win over US, US. It only played three non conference games. Yep. But one of those was a win over USC, which is sixteenth in the net. Yeah. So. You would and think, they haven't had their best player for most of the year. Right. And and they don't have any bad losses. They lost to St. John's, who's obviously in a, in hot. A, in a close game, too, yeah. And and Creighton and Seton Hall. Right. Um, now, they don't necessarily have any great wins other than USC, but you would think that they would be rated higher than 51st. Yeah. So I don't fully understand why that is. And I feel like there's a number of teams, not just in the Big East, but across the country, where if you really dig into the numbers and look at their – resume or what they are and as you say use the eye test it's like this doesn't really compute so Mm -hmm. and and i've felt that this year more so than the last couple years um so i don't know what the committee's gonna do they're they're coming out with this reveal on saturday uh it might be interesting oh what are they gonna do top 16 they really oh no i can't i can't believe they're gonna do that oh jesus i can just imagine the fire you know what well, I was thinking? I was thinking about the other thing, day, though. like Drake. Who's Drake? What they're sixteen and one right now with like a SOS in the two fifties, essentially. I actually mm-hmm. was thinking about a scenario yesterday. I think it was where I was like, "Watch, like, let's just say um, the MVC has their conference tournament or whatever, and like, let's just say Drake goes into a pause, or let's just say they get clipped. I could see the committee leaving like a one." two lost Drake out of the field based on mm. the teams they've been able to play. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I could see it. The only thing that's good about them is their net, but it's tied to their wins. They just keep winning. They drop like 20 spots. Seriously. They, they yeah. <laughs> they had one, they got beat once and it like cratered them. Yeah. They're they hanging like, on, yeah. Yeah, it went from like 15 to 34. If they lose again, it's like, oh. Right? If they lose again, they're not even, yeah, they're not even in consideration. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're right. 
So that's what I mean. Oh. I was thinking about the other day. I was like, really? That would that team would get left out? They've been talking about all year of being this darling with the, you know, because they have the no losses with like Winthrop and Gonzaga and Baylor and whoever it was, you know. And then they were like one of the they were they were the, it was down to them and Gonzaga and Baylor and they lost yeah. finally. And then their NAT was like, all right, you're gone now. Get yeah. out of our little Peace. system. Get out of our little system that we've created here. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a mess. That that reveal should be interesting, though. I'm gonna. I'm very curious the, about that. In the end, it doesn't really matter because I I feel like the committee, it's, it's just like, this is an island. It goes and it, you know, sort of, spits out this data of hey, this is where we think these teams are today. Yeah. But in a month, we're 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 not even contemplating what we thought a month ago like uh, so that's that yeah that was the one thing which, i was gonna which say was concerning. like are they gonna explain their process there because that might give us some insight into what they're thinking about it might how it they're might. thinking about seeding this this but i feel like so. if you look over the course of the last couple of years and they've done this reveal like it's hard to like make sense of why a team dropped yeah. you know oh you were a two seed in february and now you're five or you weren't even in the top 16 and now you're a one. I mean, you can kind of figure some of that stuff out, but also, I don't know. I don't know if it, if it matters or not, but I'm with you that if, if, if we see some outliers pop into that top 16 or maybe some teams left out that maybe the data favors or doesn't favor um, the net ranking or whatever, or or the traditional quadrant system. Yeah. Maybe then that's a sign of, what what's going to come next month so what day is the reveal i think it's saturday so it's the day that creighton plays villanova right okay so here's what i'll say right now for the record for the podcast and for the own for my own like ability to evaluate what they're what the committee's possibly thinking i will be 100 percent shocked if creighton is not in that really yes 100 percent hmm okay because it's the top, it's it's they're doing the top sixteen, right? Yeah, they're going through the games of of yeah top sixteen the games through February twelfth. Um, February thirteenth is it'll be unveiled at eleven thirty on CBS. Okay, yeah, I will be one hundred percent shocked if Creighton's not a top four seed. Because I just think they are they're they're a top what is that sixteen top fifteen type team? Yeah, yeah, I've always felt that. I'll be surprised if they are. Oh, really? One hundred percent surprised, or no, no, no. Okay, not one hundred percent. Just a little surprised. Gotcha. It's kind of like where I was last year. Like I was like, well, they might, they might make the top sixteen when in the reveal at that time when they were yeah. doing it. It's like, oh, they might make it, and they didn't. And but I was like, eh, I'm. I was. I would have been surprised if they made it last year. Kind of mm-hmm. where I'm at right now. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, next question, Jacob Badilla wants to know, or it's not a question. He wants, he's like more of a challenge, I guess. Rank each of the 19 steals in order from most to least impressive. No, I don't even remember him now. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I'm giving Mitch some run. Like he had a couple really nice ones where I think he was one on one with like a Dude, big man. And if he didn't like time that swipe right, it's a like- bucket. So yeah, I think I'm one of his. You you need to go you need to go watch watch the stretch from like the five minute mark of the first half to I don't know the three minute mark or something. It was Georgetown turned the ball over five times in a row? They and did. Mitch Ballock had and Mitch Ballock had four steals. Yeah, and a deflection. 
and I know we've already talked about this on this podcast, but like he he got Belay at least three times. Mm-hmm. Like same, I know the same move twice. Like Belay drove and was getting ready to come up for you know finish in the paint, and Balak just swiped down and got him. So I think the second one then was impressive because like how are you going to let this dude do that to you again? Mm-hmm. But he did. Maybe, uh, maybe actually the most impressive one had to be Mahoney just like yes. coming in and ripping the ball away from uh it wasn't Wahab. Who's the who's the reserve? Igohefe. Igohefe. You you don't that's like he's gonna be your new Sam Elliott because you can't or your new Greg I know, Elliott. I <laughs> you can't remember him. <laughs> Greg Elliott from Marquette. I always called him Sam Elliott. Yeah. Uh uh, can I just call him number five, seven, seven wingspan boy? Sure. Man, yeah. seven, yeah. seven wingspan, man. He's not a boy. He's I mean, Georgetown's like the all name team this year. They've got a bunch of them where you look at the roster and you're like, I'm not really sure how to say that. So you need to like hear it or read it mm-hmm. a couple of times to burn it in your memory. I actually feel like I've got a good grasp of their roster names now. So I don't feel like anyone trips me up, but that's the one guy you haven't been able to even come close to trying to name yet. Like not even a guess. You've just been like, who's that dude? That, that guy that is long and stuff. Seven seven wingspan. Seven seven wingspan. All right, it's almost two o'clock. We guys are ripping through these. Uh, Scott Leak, will Antoine Jones be an impact player at any point this season or next season? Not this season. Oh, you don't think it's going to be an impact player this season? What? what nah, do you mean by I, I feel impact? like. Well, yeah, that's, I know that's the other thing we have to define that ourselves. Um, I think he's. I think he's really fighting himself right now. And I don't think you – I don't know if he's going to recover from that at this point. So I think well, I think the offseason is going to be important for him if he if he gets to have a normal-ish one. Because I don't – I think he's I think he's on tilt right now and it's going to be tough for him to get into a rhythm. Right one now. thing I will say, though, is he's going to have a week and a half after Villanova. Oh, true. And, yep. and Creighton, you know Creighton's just going to spend time practicing and working on themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe giving the starters a little bit of a break. So he's going to get a call. ton of reps. And have an opportunity to sort of address some of the things that maybe are plaguing him right now, because I feel like he's taking a jump defensively. I feel like he's getting better there, and offensively, mm-hmm. it just seems like he's uh, maybe a step slower, just reading things a little bit inaccurately. So, um, he's probably putting too much pressure on himself too. But like, I think that's what it looks yeah. like to me. Yeah, I I, I think I think he's going to be an impact player for him. He's already been an impact player for him. It's oh, just, I agree. Um, yeah, maybe, I don't think they they don't win the Xavier game without him. No, no, definitely yeah. not. Um, so can he do that again at some point in the year? I think so. Mm. But I, I don't know if it's going to be a consistent thing. Yeah. Next year. Next year. Yeah, he'll be good. He'll be good. Next year. Yeah. Uh, Drew wants to talk about uh, – so he guys, he's Creighton's 32 in the net rankings, projected as an 8C. What's your C projection? So we just talked about that one. Um, so we can rip through that. Um, Ting wants to know – oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. All right, I have an easy answer to this one, but it is an awful question. You have 12 – you have to watch 12 hours straight of college hoops with one of these, quote-unquote, gems as the broadcast analyst for all of them. For all of them? All of them. 12 straight hours. Rothstein, Dickie V, uh, Dakich, or Bill Walton, who are you taking? Rothstein does games. One of the, I don't even know. He's a side. Sometimes he's a sideline game. Sometimes, yeah. 
Sideline Reporter. Yeah, why? You have to choose one. It's an easy answer for me. There's like well, three awful I, ones in there. I can't do Walton. Me, um, me either. I can do. I can do. No, I'll take that back. I can do Walton in November, in games that don't matter. Okay. And I'm kind of half watching, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, okay, that's funny. But it works. Yeah. Like when, you know, when you got two teams battling for like a Pac-12 championship, and Walton's talking about. I don't know, dog collars or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever random things comes to his mind. I'm like, I can't, I can't handle that. I'd probably say Dan Dockich. I'd take him. Um, he, <sighs> he's a, uh, um, he's a hot take monster, a hot take machine. He's definitely a monster. That's for sure. <laughs> a monster. Uh, but I can, every now and then I, I hear some good insight in terms of basketball stuff. so that's Dude, that's a surprising me. one to me because I didn't think you were going to come close to giving that dude some love being the Purdue-Indiana deal, but okay. I, I, feel, I, he, feel, he, on, uh, I feel you on the every now and then he lands a, he knows a bit the of game. analysis. Yeah, yeah, he knows the game. It's just sometimes he gets sidetracked with ridiculous hot take. Like, yeah. he, has, he has a radio show, and he gets all radio showy. I know. That to me – see, that to me is the more egregious part of it. That's why I, I forgive him less. <laughs> Because he knows the game and he knows how to analyze it, so he should know better than to. Gottlieb, Doug Gottlieb's the same way. Both of those guys oh will get into a game, and I'm like, do they know it's not their podcast right now? Because they're not even talking about what's going on right now. So those two guys are in an unforgivable spot for me. I don't. I will. I will mute them 100 percent of the time. Uh, Dickie V is like the dude. I think I can have the most fun listening to. He's a little, you know, he's old now. Um, he doesn't really have a grasp on the game as well as he did like back in the day. But I feel like that quirkiness works with like a fun game. Um, so I think of those four, it's easily Dickie V for me. The other three have like non-negotiable errors in my opinion <laughs> that make them who they are. And I'm like, I don't like that at all. So yeah. You know. Rothstein wouldn't even. I don't even. If you put Rossi as a color analyst for a forty-minute game, I mean, how many gimmicks would he get in there? How many like cheesy little catchphrases would he throw into that? Like he's not even. He can't even like do the studio stuff without smiling at how dumb he sounds. Like he even knows he sounds like a jackass. <laughs> like he laughs at himself most of the time. Tonight, Ryan Gomes. When they introduced them, Ryan Gomes was like giving him such the most the most awful side eye where he's like, I can't wait to fucking sit in here with this guy. I have to talk about basketball like this clown. I, I got major vibes from Ryan Gomes with that going on. It was pretty funny. Um, I'm sure that he sat in the studio with Rothstein's always in the studio. I know, but like again, he acts like a clown when he's in there. He's got the pen thing. He goes, he's always. Yeah. Flipping the pen up and down, and then he'll always bust out his catchphrases in the studio. It's like, dude, do you ever shut that part of it off ever? Are you at home right now? Like, do you, when you're talking to your fiance or your wife or whatever, like, do you talk to her like that? Like, why can't you just be something else? It's show crazy. A difference? It's insane. I will say that it is insane to me that like Rothstein, as a media personality, has like all these t shirts with catchphrases that really aren't even that original. No, it's just like stuff that he just took them and used them a lot. That, yeah, <laughs> but they but he's making money off it. I mean, I guess I credit him a little bit, but it's it's wild. It is wild, but I'll take Dockage. Okay, I got Dickie V. Good question. Um, 
Kirk Maximus or Kirkus Maximus, excuse me. Um, what chances? What are the chances that they have a Big East tournament? I mean, hundred percent, right? Yeah, it's happening. Yeah. Unless, against unless there's wishes. some like major, you know, outbreak within the conference or in, in the city of New York or something. Yeah. Okay. It sounds um, like the coaches. It sounds like the coaches are really confident that they can do it in a bubble-like setting, mm-hmm. and then they can just go from that bubble to the NCAA tournament bubble. Right. That's what they're hoping. Yeah, but there's too much money for the Big East to make during that, so they're going to do it. Um, Jared Salas. I don't, I don't know if this is a sponsor. question yet. What's that? I was just saying TV and sponsorships. Yep. Even though uh, I got a bone to pick with Fox Sports 1 because they keep showing that Fox News advertisement. Um, Jared Salas one. I don't even know if this is a question. Let me read it. Five games left, three quad one opportunities, two quad three games. Got to finish strong. Went out 16 and four, 80%, four and one, five. Yeah, that wasn't really a question. But you already talked about it. Basically, I think the gist of it is like catching Nova, essentially. Right. I mean, so yeah, John already is, laid is, that is, out from a percentage. Is, is Nova going to get more games or they're just, yeah, I don't know. Are they going to, I don't even know what's going on there. I have no idea. So the way I figured that, that would have already been done if it was going to happen. Right. The way the schedule's set up right now is Villanova is playing. I mean, if you, if you think the traditional window is two times a week, like you play either Tuesday or Wednesday or Saturday, Sunday, all of Villanova's slots are full except for one. Yeah. They have like a, a bye week, quote unquote, bye game or whatever built in between the Creighton game and the Yukon game. Mm-hmm. Um, this weekend's Creighton game on the, on the 13th and the Yukon game is the 20th. So there's like an open date in between there that you would think they would pick up a game yeah. because they're down so many, but nothing's been announced. So like, I don't know. And then after that, there's no open window unless you move games around and add to it so that Villanova is now playing three times per week. Um, which doesn't seem like like the Big Ten was like, oh yeah, we'll let Nebraska do that, but the Big East, I'm sure, is not going to do that to its you know potential number two seed. Yeah, I mean the Big Ten shouldn't have done this in Nebraska either. Like, why are no, you putting why are you putting that team through all that? Like, what's the point of that? Right. Good lord. Um, yeah, Jake uh, Jake Plotzik wants to know. Let's see, thoughts on AOC at the three and Mahoney at the five for an experimental death lineup. I think I don't the know death for lineup. Him. I think it's, the death lineup is dead. So do I. Yeah, like they got Christian two. Bishop's too good, and so is Ryan Kalkbrenner. There's yeah, two. Yeah. yeah. So the only time you'd see it, another death lineup situation is if those guys are in foul trouble or if something weird's going on where they just need to go small to throw something out there. Um. Yeah, I don't think we're seeing death lineups anymore this year. Yep. Christian and Ryan are too good. Um, Jim Hendricks, can we talk about how terrible the TV announcers were? I think we already kind of did, right? In a roundabout way. Yeah. That's not bad. Yes, they were very bad. Uh, Danny Sullivan, any observations about Mac uh, giving Sharif and Marcus a few extra minutes together the last couple games? And if we might continue seeing, uh, seeing more of that. Yeah, I think that's the – I honestly, I think that's like a day one plan being executed now, right? Now that both guys are healthy, right? One thing that Sharif gives you – that maybe Mitch or whoever they have playing the three, whether it's Alex O'Connell or Denzel, he just has quickness. 
and he can kind of get into the heart of a defense. Goes back all the way to what we were saying before about like if teams are going to play you, play try to play Creighton a little bit more straight up and one on one. Well, Sharif can win one on one matchups. He's quick enough. He's got a good enough handle. He can get in the heart of a defense and then make a play. And so he can give you that a little bit. And obviously defensively, like he's the best on ball defender on the team. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and it relieves some pressure off Marcus to bring the ball up. So I, yeah, I, I think they've, they've always wanted to do that. Um, some this year because it's, it's a credit, really it's a credit to Sharif because he's improved to the level the way they're, they trust him and they want to get him more playing time. So that's a way to do it is to uh, slide Marcus to the two and not have a scenario where Sharif's only role is like subbing in for Marcus when he gets tired, which is obviously not going to happen very often. So, right. I also think it goes to another thing you were saying about earlier when we were talking about uh, finding that balance of efficiency between defense, defense and offense, having Sharif on the floor with Marcus allows Marcus to find those moments in the game where he can, you know, dial it back a little bit and essentially take a yeah. breather on the court. Um, Josh McMillan wants to know if CU swaps minutes with Denzel and Alex, do you think the offense will be better or worse? Worse. Yes. Uh, Boones or Luke Rudnick wants to know, is Zegarowski leaving? He is leaving Washington, D.C. and headed back to Omaha tonight. I don't know if he's going pro, and I don't think he does either. I think he. I think he's going pro, but okay, that's just my – because like he's not having a bad year. Guys. I know. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you totally. You yeah, already yeah. you already laid it out. Uh, he he's not having a bad year. Mm-hmm. So he's having about the same year he had last year. So there's a little bit of of a level of disappointment there because you expect him to get better. Um, but he still has plenty of time to make. NBA scouts aren't watching college basketball right now. I know that's the other thing too. Like, like I don't. Yeah, they haven't evaluated anything. They, they have no idea what's going on. Yeah, the they'll, G League's about to start up too, so that's going to throw a wrench into a bunch of things because there's a couple guys. Yeah, they'll turn it on out of college that are going to be playing in that. So yeah, they'll turn it on in March. And uh, and if 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 Marcus Sigurowski and the Jays make a big run, then his his draft stock will be it'll be at a level where he has to go for sure. Um, last question from Nick Wonder. Um, last year, it seemed like Denzel would come up or come in and post up, draw fouls, and go to the line. Why don't you think we've seen that uh, more this year? Maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem like he's doing that as often. Love the pod. Well, thanks for loving the pod. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think he tries to. I just think all of them do it. So it's not as. It's not well, on Denzel as much. DJ does it a lot more than he did last year because he's healthy. I was going to say, so... is, I think DJ's better at it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think so DJ's, you, I think you he's pick, the best at it. Yeah. Yeah, if you got to pick a wing to post up, I think you po- you post DJ. Denzel's getting a better defender, so that's part of it. Um, Denzel also got robbed tonight because he went to the rim twice and scored, but they called like, you know, oh, that's they, right. they, they, did. they called they off called ball him. fouls both times he did it, so he didn't on the get, floor. Yeah, on the floor, yeah, or not off ball fouls, but yeah, they called. When he was when he beat his man, the the guy fouled him as he was going up to finish with his left yeah. hand. So yeah, he got robbed of two of them tonight. So he did draw fouls driving twice. <laughs> he definitely has drawn. I, well, I guess I should look it up. I think he's drawn fewer fouls this year. Um, 
But the officiating's also been much more shitty this year too. So that's a factor. Ouch. That's a factor in it as well. Yeah, but I think that that's partly because you know he last year he was matched up against fours and fives who weren't as good uh, at moving, yeah. weren't as good as moving at, at moving their feet, and he would get them out of position and know how to like contort his body to get contact. That's and, that's basically the answer. That's a hundred percent the the deal. He's facing wings now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last year. What does this say? According to Ken Palm, Denzel was at 5.1 fouls drawn per, per 40 minutes. And this year he's at 3.9. Hmm. So uh, there's, there's been a, a drop off there, but what's Marcus Zagorowski at while you're up there. Yeah. Marcus is at 3.5 this year. Fouls drawn for 40 minutes. And last year he was at 3.2. 3.5 fouls, whatever. Anyway, yeah, I think you answered it the best way possible, though. Denzel's facing better defenders this year. Guys who can stay in front of him more effectively than last year. Less matchups to exploit. I mean, honestly, you're seeing DJ exploit those matchups now. Yeah. Because he's that guy in, in kind of Denzel's spot. That's usually what it happened, right? Like well, Denzel would come thing. in Denzel would come in for DJ or they would go super small and he'd be matched up against a five. So this year he's moved down basically two position spots. So he's facing better defenders, and DJ's the guy. DJ and Christian are the guys taking advantage of the less uh, fleet of foot defenders in terms of penetration and attacking the rim and getting to the free throw line. Because aren't they leading the team in free throw attempts? Basically, both those guys, DJ and Christian, Christian and DJ. Yeah. Well, I don't. I guess I should double check that. But while I do, I, I wanted to add that I think Denzel Mahoney is he's one of Creighton's better shooters. True. So if you're if you're drawing up sort of a scheme of like a post up situation, you know, if you can avoid not having one of your better shooters, floor spacers, you know, sitting in the paint, mm-hmm. that would probably be more ideal, right? So sure. like, let's post up DJ and have Mahoney, Balik, and Zagorowski to- right. towing the line versus Jefferson or whoever else is in there. Um, at uh, on the three point line, no. So um, yeah, Christian Bishop has the most free throw attempts on the year, followed by Denzel Mahoney, and Damian Jefferson and Marcus Zagorowski. Gotcha. But it, you know, it's not they're they're all clustered together pretty closely there. Well, yeah, because they haven't drawn fouls all year, so that makes sense. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's it. That's it for questions. Thanks for making them creative. That was pretty. That was pretty one of the more creative. How many Q&As people we've are going to? So how many people are going to listen to this two-hour conversation? Good lord, how long? I don't. I'm. I'm so curious. I don't have a timer on this, and I forgot what I hit record. You gotta so. send. You gotta send us a note if you if you make it through. Here's the good thing is, is there's an extra day in between. Yep. The the um before Creighton plays again, so you can kind of space this one out. Maybe we should put this disclaimer out there. It's like, hey, look. <laughs> Pace yourself right. for this thing. Don't try it all in one setting. Like <laughs> yeah. you, you got an extra day of prep to get through it. So yeah, right. We covered yeah. a lot of grounds. So. Use this for like two lunches, two uh, two like drive home and and back from work. Mm-hmm. I don't know are people even going to work these days. I I'm not. Um, but wow. It's incredible what we've done. It's yes. a, marathon, a marathon podcast tonight. Can you imagine if we were still in the media room doing this? Like they, we might as well just sleep there. Two o'clock in the morning right now. We would have been interrupted about four or five times by people 
yeah. wondering what coming in trying happening. to get the any pizza left. Yeah, help yourself. Like, yeah, I missed that. Dang it. I've, I've, I've randomly watched a, a Creighton. I was trying to figure out, maybe you have the answer to this, like when the first time Creighton showed that zone that they have. Um, I remember when they installed it. This was like 2018. That, after little, that, the, that, that two-fist deal they do? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're like kind of hybrid one three one two three. Like yeah. they installed it after Nebraska-Gonzaga, somewhere in that window, maybe over yeah. Christmas break. It was Marcus's freshman year, Mitch mentioned them Mitch and Ty's sophomore year. Yeah. Right. And I was trying to remember when they busted it out in the game for the first time. And so I was going through, I forgot all these games on DVR and I was just watching some. Um and it it it, it made me a little sad because like watch the Xavier game that year at Xavier Seton Hall. Like there's fans in the stands. It's such an incredible atmosphere. And like, <laughs> I know the emotions going crazy. Like, uh, I I forgot how much I missed it. That uh, turning that on. That video of uh, of Sharif dribbling the clock out last year against Seton Hall. Mm. Like people find that every now and then, and will like pop a like into my mention or whatever, or random retweet, so it pops back into my like my alerts or whatever, my notifications and I'll watch it and I go, dang, man, that was like an unbelievable atmosphere. We're not even anywhere in the neighborhood of that anymore. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I do. I'm that when that happens, my shoot, I miss it bad. So yeah, hopefully soon we'll get that back, but we'll see. We just got to make do with what we got to make do. Right. At least we have basketball. I mean, that is the thing that I've always tried to remind myself about, like, you know, we 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 went through almost a full summer without our normal sporting routine and and not having like I don't even know what I what did I watch on TV I don't even remember I th- actually I, actually you know what scratch it I do remember I watched old college basketball games but <laughs> that aside I did too uh, I reported I recorded a bunch of commentaries we did we watched a bunch of old ass games yeah that's right yeah you yeah. did that yeah I was watching because CBS. And CBS Sports Network were replaying old NCAA tournament games, so I just DVR'd mm. like every single one. Nice. And so I, over the summer, just started watching those on replay. So that was, um, yeah, that was probably what I did. I don't know how long I could have done that though. So mm. I'm glad we have college basketball back. It stinks that it's not what it what it used to be or what it could be, and who knows what's ahead because this it it seems like we're. Uh, I don't know, kind of be kind of like walking a, a tightrope to get mm-hmm. to the end of the year. But yeah, um, I'm glad that I'm fortunate enough to be able to watch these guys play and compete and write about it and talk to you about it. So that's right. Thanks for I'm just thanks glad for having me on the pod. I'm just glad you're still alive that we can talk about this stuff. I'm glad we still have a country. College basketball is gravy. The rest of that stuff. So <laughs> yeah. as long as I can still text John and he'll respond and he's good to go and the family's doing well. That's all I care about. So yeah, um, I'm not a great. Thank you. Text. I'm not a great text. Response. Yeah, John's. Yeah, just some inside basketball, inside baseball here. John's notoriously slow responder. Horrible. Yeah. Like if I was dying and he was the first guy I went to, I'd probably not make it. Like if you needed someone to call 911. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you texted me, I'd be like. <laughs> Four hours later, hey, uh, uh, <laughs> you, you, st- you still need me? But you said though, like you're like you're you're universally that way. It's not like I, a grouping of people. So if it was if it was family in in peril too, 
they'd, they'd, it'd be they'd the same thing. Suffer the they same know. Fate. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm just not good at that. Some, I don't know what it is. I didn't know but. it was a skill until you told me you weren't good at it, and then I saw it play out over the years. I'm like, yeah, he really is pretty slow at responding. It's yeah. horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when you do respond, it's usually a good engagement. So you like, you are like always ready to talk. So that's the right. funny part. You're like, are you dying? Are you still dying? Like, yeah, I, it's over with already. Like, oh well, dang, what happened, man? Like, don't <laughs> yeah. worry about it. We'll talk about it later. But yeah, it is good talking to you, man. Um, everybody, check out Omaha.com. Read John's work. Buy a newspaper. Um, uh, the newsletter. Have yeah, you guys- subscribe to the newsletter. Yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah, that's that's launched. Omaha.com/newsletters. It's pretty easy. Um, you just plug that into your browser. And you can kind of scroll down and find Creighton Newsletter, click the button to sign up for it, and then they'll pop in your news or your email once a week. So this is a new thing. Like this is something that we in our company haven't really experimented with. Like we have newsletters, but they're they're not exclusive, authentic content, like written specifically for for the newsletter, um, right? Yeah, yeah. And for people like this is designed for Creighton fans specifically. Mm. And so it's something that like Again, we haven't done, and we're just trying it out and seeing what we can do with it, and hopefully we'll watch it grow. So we've already got good response so far. I've been encouraged. Um, so we'll just keep it up. Cool. And you Sign already wrote, for that. Wrote, there's a you already wrote about Sharif in the first or the last one, right? Is yeah, wrote about free throw shooting. Wrote about Ty Ty Washington and Ryan Nemhart going battling, and and then wrote about Reef. So those are the three editions of the newsletter so far. Cool. Yeah. So everybody subscribe to that. So you can check out more of John's work. Um, and then Omaha.com buy a newspaper, white and blue review.com iTunes for this podcast um, or iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you for everybody for tuning in. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for your feedback, John. Thank you for staying up at ungodly hours and talking hoops with me as always. Um, we will talk to everybody again on Saturday. Have a good week.